Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil Wiedenheft here to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Tom Bond. Each week, Tom and I, we get together to chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's going on in pop culture. This week has been full of a number of twists and turns. Sadly, civil rights icon and long-serving congressman John Lewis lost his battle with cancer and passed away at 80 years old. He was the last living member of the group of men who marched with Dr. King in Selma, Alabama. He participated in lunch counter sit-ins, joined the Freedom Riders in challenging segregated, segregated buses, and at just the age of 23, he was a keynote speaker at the 1963 March on Washington. Lewis passed away the same day as fellow civil rights icon C.T. Vivian, who passed away at 95, and was a fellow Freedom Rider who helped organize some of the very first sit-ins and protests of the movement. He became very famous after being beaten by a local sheriff on TV as he led a group of people to try and go vote back in the 60s. Both men passed on the same day. They'll be missed. They were loved. And we all hope that their fight and spirit continues through these crazy times. Also, sadly, Supreme Court icon Ruth Bader Ginsburg announced that pancreatic cancer had returned and that she would be returning to the hospital to receive more treatments for that. We are hoping she pulls through. Coronavirus is obviously still major in the news today. As of this moment, deaths stand at just over 144,000 in the U.S. Congress is debating how much money should be given to schools in order to assist with the reopenings this fall. They're also debating how to handle the upcoming deadline at the end of this month to extend unemployment benefits to those affected by the virus. As of now, the extra $600 being added to checks will vanish at the end of the month. On Sunday, Trump gave an extended 40-minute interview to Chris Wallace of Fox News. During the interview, Trump made several alarming statements, the biggest being that he isn't sure he'll accept the election results and that he's going to wait and see on that one. He uh, says he'll have to see what they look like, and uh, that matches his similar claim back in 2016. He also once again bragged about being able to pass an Alzheimer test that includes questions like identifying an elephant. Uh, like, not just passing the test. He triples down on it as if it's the hardest test ever. He spends multiple minutes bragging about this. Anyway, he continued his barrage of lies, racial insinuations, and everything else we've come to expect from him. And the bar is so low for Trump, all it took for him to return to coronavirus briefings, all it took was for him to return to coronavirus briefings this week and admit that it's getting worse before it's going to get better. And he finally tweeted that wearing a mask is patriotic, and now there's a thousand think pieces about his perhaps changing tone. Never mind it's the end of fucking January, or end of fucking July, and he began being briefed on this shit back in January. No doctors were present at this latest briefing, and Joe Biden started wearing a mask in public as soon as he left quarantine back in fucking May. Anyway, in a truly scary turn, federal agents not wearing badges, identification, and using unlabeled vehicles arrested numerous protesters in Portland after firing tear gas and stun grenades at them. The city has filed a lawsuit against the government for their action, which will be reviewed by a federal judge and possibly work its way up to the Supreme Court at a later date. As of today, those protests continue to rise in the days following those actions as orders by Trump for more federal agents to descend on major cities continue to meet sharp criticism. Disney pulled its ads from Facebook. Disney is, is the biggest spender so far for Facebook ads this year, and they pulled in an attempt to force the social media company to confront how it deals with hate speech. We'll see how that goes. And Tenet, oh my God, Tenet, it finally got delayed again, officially, in a move that literally everyone saw coming. They finally wised up and decided not to publicly announce a release date as of yet, so we're going to wait and see. It might be, likely will be sometime next year. All this begs the question, what if... After all of this, Tenet is just okay. What if it's like mid-tier Nolan? Anyway, the la latest round of NBA testing 
in the NBA bubble found zero cases of COVID, unlike the two they found previously. This is good news for fans desperate for a chance to see some sports, potentially next week when the NBA hosts two games on July 30th. And in a mix of political and entertainment news, Kanye West continued to mentally descend as he publicly exclaimed Harriet Tubman didn't free slaves, she just set them free to be ruled by other white people. He also had multiple breakdowns on Twitter where he seemed to be raging against his wife and family trying to send doctor, sending a doctor to help him with his bipolar disorder. Kim Kardashian, for the very first time, broke her silence on the issue today, issuing a statement asking for compassion and understanding as Kanye deals with his mental disorder. I'd also add that his campaign for president failed to get his name on the South Carolina ballot this week. They gathered exactly zero of the thousands of signatures required to appear on the ballot, if that tells you how seriously he's taking this presidential bid and how seriously we should be taking this presidential bid. I'm sure there's more. It's a wild time as usual. All that being said, that's what's going on in the world, but I want to know what's happening in my buddy's life. So I'm going to ask him the same question I ask him every week. Tom, how's that day? Man, (laughs) another busy week, as you just listed. I'm doing okay, Phil. How are you? I'm good. I I literally I've started keeping track. I'll like type a thing into my little document that I have for the show. And usually by the end of the week, as I get back to it, I'm like, oh, that happened this week. I already forgot about that. Yeah, it's uh, man, there's so much going on in the world right now, just in this country. Um, Where to begin? I what do I want to talk about first? I guess I'll just start because I have the, the brain of an infant. The last thing you talked about, Kanye. Sure. Or maybe should we save that with our general topic at large, since this is going to be a music episode? I don't know, but I mean, um, not he, he's not nothing he's doing relates to music right now, except for the perhaps maybe release of an album this Friday. But we'll we'll wait and see about that. Who knows if that's actually going to Donda, happen. Donda, yeah, thirty nine minute album. He keeps teasing on Twitter. I don't, I don't, man. I just feel I the whole situation makes me sad. It really does. Well. Um, I listened to a podcast yesterday or the day before when I was traveling, which was uh, a very like recent Zoom interview with somebody who is a very, very close friend of Kanye's and grew up with him. And he was very open on the call. They were asking him all these things like, hey, where's where's Kim been at? Where is his family? Where's support? Where's his friends? Like what's going on in his inner circle when things like this are happening? And he was like, look, all I can tell you is that as someone who knows Kanye's heart, his heart is always in the right place. He's trying to do the right thing. Like what he meant by the Harriet Tubman comment was just this idea that like that form of free, that form of slavery is, you know, something that we got past, but there's this other, you know, socials, you know, the, what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, structural racism and all this other stuff that like he believes has still in, you know, entrapped black people, which is a totally fair thing to say, but they're talking about how his mind is just so warped and, in some weird place that he can't express that, even though they're like, if you talk to him privately, he's very like, he wants to do the right thing, but he just like can't express it for some reason. And he has these episodes that they're like, yeah, it's it's just something that has happened over the years at different times. And I don't know, it kind of gave me a different view on it. He couldn't say much about the Kim Kardashian-ness of it all. He was pretty upfront. He's like, I haven't spent much time with her, to be honest. Like we, you know, that he keeps his music stuff pretty separate from his family stuff. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's been a, Tough situation. I was interested in Kim Kardashian's uh, letter of sympathy, I guess, or request for sympathy today. I thought that was an interesting turn of events because up until then, I was like, "What? Who is this fucking monster who's still posting ads for her new like underwear line, like while her husband's having this like clear well, public I, breakdown?" Yeah, I, so I looked at 
her Twitter. We're recording this. Uh, we we got to this record late in the week. I've been dealing with some uh, some minor health issues, some stomach issues, so I had to push back the recording a day or two. And and, uh, and I was traveling. And you were traveling, but we we had planned for that. So I'll uh, this this one's on me. As they usually are. But anyway, so uh, just to timestamp it, we're recording this Wednesday night on the 22nd. And the past two nights, uh, the Monday and Tuesday of this week, Kanye has gone on two separate uh, Twitter rants, basically. And so I I looked at um, Kim's Twitter account, and she hadn't posted anything as of late last night since uh, the past two days of Kanye stuff. So I didn't even know... You broke this um, Kim Kardashian personal statement thing to me. I didn't even know she had put something out. So can you summarize briefly what it said? Yeah, it was basically like, as all of you know, my husband has suffered from bipolar disorder. Um, Like, I ask you, like, I have not spoken much about it in this time. Uh, Here it is. As many of you know, Kanye has bipolar disorder. Anyone who has this or a loved one in their life who does knows how incredibly complicated and painful it is to understand. I've never spoken publicly about how this has affected us at home because I am very protective of our children and Kanye's right to privacy when it comes to his health. But today I feel like I should comment on it because of the stigma and misconceptions about mental health. Those that understand mental illness or even a compulsive behavior know that family is powerless unless the member is a minor. People are, who are unaware or far removed from this experience can be judgmental and not understand that the individual themselves have to engage in the process of getting help no matter how hard family and friends try. I understand Kanye is subject to criticism because he is a public figure and his actions at times can cause strong opinions and emotions. He is brilliant but complicated. He is a brilliant but complicated person who, on top of the pressures of being a black artist who experienced the painful loss of his mother and has to deal with the pressure and isolation that is heightened by his bipolar disorder. Those who are close with Kanye know his heart and understand his words sometimes do not align with his intentions. Living with bipolar disorder does not diminish or invalidate his dreams and his creative ideas, no matter how big or unattainable they may feel to some. That is part of his genius, and as we have all witnessed, many of his big dreams come true. We as a society talk about giving grace to that issue of mental health as a whole. However, we should also give it to the individuals who are living with it in times when they need it the most. I kindly ask that the media and public give compassion and empathy that is needed so that we can get through this. Thank you to those who have expressed concern for Kanye's well-being and for your understanding. With love and gratitude, Kim Kardashian West. Okay, yeah, it's nice that she commented on it, I guess, because... Yeah, what what Kanye's been saying. I mean, he openly said last night on Twitter that he's been trying to get a divorce. He said that uh, Kim has tried to 5150 him, which is basically, for those who don't know that term, that's a code for 72-hour um, involuntary institutionalization of a person deemed uh, capable of harm to themselves or to others. It's what uh, uh, Britney Spears' father put on her, actually. Yes, which is a whole other thing that you we didn't talk about or wasn't addressed in this um, your opening segment. Not uh, faulting you for that, obviously. I just learned about this whole free Britney campaign a couple of days ago, and I was reading up on it. That is also very sad. Oh, I don't even. But, I mean, is that what I would just? I don't I would say I haven't heard about that, but I, I know that. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, apparently, um, I'm blanking on the term. I'll, I'll have to Google it while we talk, but. You know, Britney Spears had her has had a lot of uh, personal issues, including a very famous uh, umbrella meltdown. Yeah, and uh, basically, um, 
she was put under a conservatorship with her father, uh, which basically means that her dad, still to this day, uh, controls her assets, controls her money, basically controls her, her life and decisions. And there's this hashtag free Britney campaign going around social media that's basically saying she is sending out coded pleas for help, um, saying that she is unable to um, basically do some of the things that she wants to do with her life and her career. And, I mean, her dad even publicly says that their relationship is very strained. They don't get along. And it seems like uh, there's definitely an avenue where you could believe that uh, people who don't have Britney's personal best interests at heart are in control of her money in her career um still to this day which dates back to uh yeah a a public breakdown attributed to her mental health which happened a very long time ago um we'll see i uh, seems okay over the past several years so i think you know i I think the goal with the free britney campaign is uh some court who is capable needs to review this conservatorship and see if it's in her best interest still at this point. Well, I, I think the only thing I heard, I mean, maybe I, I misheard something, but um, I I heard that she announced an indefinite hiatus and like canceled her entire, you know, she had that Vegas show several years back and um, w- that was a big success. And I, I sometime around like, 2016 or 17 uh, i know she pulled out mysteriously and uh, said she was never going to perform again and there was something that happened during that time period that i think re-raised mental health concerns i don't know the details so i don't want to speak too out of school on it but it wasn't just like the umbrella shaving head incident stuff from like 2007 or whatever the hell that stuff happened but i yeah i from from what i understand yes britney spears is kind of stuck in the reverse of Kanye, which is her family has taken too much control, and it seems like Kanye's family, we all wish, would take a little bit more control. Exactly. Um, and so going back to Kim's letter or statement that she put out, it seems like right in the beginning of it, she kind of... sounds like she openly admits that she, she is trying to uh, do something. You know, basically saying, as you know, if as long as... She, if the person isn't a minor, there's nothing I can do, which to me sounds like, uh, if not confirming the things Kanye has said on Twitter about her and her actions, at least like not denying them and maybe confirming that she has tried some type of form of trying to get him help or to get him to see somebody or go somewhere. Um, maybe just, to, to get out of the public spotlight for a while, or I don't know, see, a. Yeah, whether it's as banal as see a therapist, I have no idea. But well, he um, he's bragged about how he doesn't take his pills. Yeah, which is awful. It's it's sad, man. It's just look, it's really sad. You know, he says he has bipolar disorder. She confirms it in her letter. Uh, I know a lot of people think when he goes on this on these tweeting rampages that they're you know textbook examples of manic episodes. Bipolar is also. Uh, there's an, I guess, an outdated term. Manic depression is also a bipolar disorder. It can be known as. I had a a kid in high school who I was, I wouldn't say close friends with, but I was like school friends with. You know, one of those kids that you you hang out with yeah. during the school hours, but don't see outside of school. Yeah. 
um, who had bipolar disorder. Uh, back then, he called it manic depression. And he was a great guy. He just had some issues, and he ended up killing himself Like later in life. I found out about it years later in his mid-20s. Like It's not a... It's not a, a mental health problem to take lightly, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, it's definitely something that if you, if you have it, if you've been diagnosed, you, you need to keep up on your medication for, with a disease like that. I mean, that's the type of medication that you need to start taking and you take every day and it takes a while, but once you're on it, you can't just like stop and then take a pill again when you're having an episode or something, you know, it's not like something like that as far as I know. It's a daily, lifelong uh, regimen that you need to be on. So this this whole thing just bumps me out. Kanye is a musical genius. No one can argue that. Um, the the things he said, especially when he focuses on his children, like that um, press conference thing he had this week, earlier this week or over the weekend, I forget when it was, when he started breaking down crying, talking about his daughter. That was, North. that was at the same th- place that he said the Harriet Tubman comments. It was a, it yes, was a campaign yes. stop is what they called it. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. And he just like broke down crying. That was, it was very uncomfortable to watch. Um, Kim references the death of his mom. I definitely think there is a correlation there between Kanye's mom dying. And ever since uh, stability has been a, it has seemed to be a real issue in his life. I mean, yeah, I, I was listening to a, a radio interview he gave back in 2018, a clip someone posted underneath one of his uh, tweets over the past day or two. And it was just like a four or five minute clip from two years ago. I, I think during the release of Ye and when he did that Kids See Ghosts album and all, that great creative little burst he had. Which we discussed back in the day. Um, yeah. And he, w- he was just openly talking about his abandonment issues and fears and his lack of having good friends in a close social circle. Um, and he relates a lot to his mom dying. And then at the end of the, the clip, he can't even talk anymore because he's just crying. And it's it's just really depressing. And I feel like there's a lot of... I'm sure there's a lot of truth to what Kim says. I, I get the impression that Kanye does have a good heart and is generally his heart is in the right place. He just gets in his own way. Translation from his brain to his mouth is often a problem. Um, I feel like he's lost a lot of relationships that he had um, for various number of reasons. Friends who he had in the past don't seem to be friends with him anymore. Um, I think maybe he doesn't take as much accountability for his flaws in a lot of those relationships as he could just, you know, as a public, um, what would I see as a public person in his, uh, life and all the drama that's been around his life and career all these years. But I sympathize with the guy, man. And it's, it, it bums me out to see him, uh, go through such like awful, public episodes and so much of it just being met with like ridicule and um like a a, a use for people's entertainment you know like i just i want the guy to be okay (laughs) well that's just how i feel i mean i'm i'm i shouldn't say torn like i don't want that i obviously do want that but i do have that kind of like asterisk of like yes he's you know very sick 
going through this, uh, he's been very public about this bipolar disorder. And I, I agree with you that I do believe that the death of his mother, that the 808s period where he like his first sad album, if you will, like r- which happened right after the death of his mother and the end of his engagement because his fiance at the time cheated on him. So he was going through a very dark period at that point, And that was after that is kind of where you start seeing the more manic Kanye kind of like you mentioned that's seems to be a breaking point for him in some ways and both what was which is kind of terrible it was an interesting that's where he got especially interesting as an artist and really started doing some of his most influential stuff as much as his first three albums are incredible but you know he had this mental break that seemed to coincide with his creative burst so we were able to kind of overlook it but I do want to add, like, if anyone's listening and they're, you know, thinking, I, I just want to add, Kanye is also, like, an egotistical asshole plenty of times. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. he's, I'm not trying to excuse any of the behavior, like, him shitting on Taylor Swift at the MTV Awards or anything like that. Like, I don't believe that all of the episodes that we've had of Kanye West over the years is necessarily due to his bipolar disorder. And I do think we've, you know, dealt with a lot from him. But at this point, yes, I believe it's clear that he is clearly broken his brain in some way and like i listened to that like i was saying i listened to that podcast um and his friend was saying and i just read that dave Chappelle was flying out to wyoming to see him and his friend on this podcast which was recorded just a couple days ago said like i'm going out there for an indeterminate length just to be with him because he needs friends around him right now so it does seem like he some of his longtime friends are going out there right now but the other things this guy said on the podcast that i thought were somewhat interesting was he's like kanye does not live with kim kardashian like they see each other somewhat frequently but he lives in wyoming like they're like he spends the vast majority of his time in wyoming she's out in la they're not together a whole lot and um he also just said that yeah he was the one he's like he's like i'm the guy who sat down with kanye and said like you can't be wearing that fucking red cap anymore man you can't be talking about trump like here's why and he's like and i broke it down to him and he nodded and he said okay here's the red cap he took it off and he's he hasn't worn it since and he's he went in that forbes interview and said i'm not a trump guy anymore and they he said he's like kanye will listen to you and he'll talk to you and he'll like be open to what you say to him and keep in mind he also like set up a college foundation to ensure that george floyd's kids are set up for the rest of their life and he's uh, you know he's done other things for the black community kind of in the background that's going on amongst all these like crazy harriet tubman and you know slavery was a choice type comments um but yeah it's all kind of mixed up in this kind of personal mental break this personal sickness that he's had is kind of unfortunately just kind of been the it's weird to know where that takes over and the kind of egomania of his, you know, cause he's always, even in his first album, you know, has been very, you know, full of himself, arrogant. That's always the kind of godlike complex has always been a part of it. But I'm curious at what point that became like a sickness, you know, and not just like a, a character quirk, you know? Yeah. And you know, a lot of that ego, he was able to back up with his music and if it had kind of stayed there, you know, it's just like a personality quirk. Mm-hmm of who he was, I think a lot of people could tolerate it. Um, but it's, it's extended into other avenues where he's said like, and like you said, he's done a lot for the black community, oftentimes behind the scenes. Um, I think that's why guys like Chappelle are still very loyal to him. But like I was saying about where I think maybe Kanye needs to, um, figure out a way to, to own some accountability for some of his issues like the Dave Chappelle thing to me is a great example right so Chappelle goes there um 
you know, Kanye basically has a meltdown a couple days ago on Twitter. And the next day, Chappelle apparently charters a plane and goes out to the ranch where Kanye lives uh, without Kim to see him and just spend time with him because he's because clearly it seemed Chappelle was like this dude needs my friendship right now right so very a very nice noble thing to do for a friend and Kanye responds by posting about it by Twitter on Twitter thanking Chappelle but he does it by posting a video where he puts Chappelle in front of a camera and basically says like the world needs to, to smile man tell us all a joke and Chappelle's like trying to be super serious like just the brotherhood's real that's why i'm here like basically saying like look kanye i'm here for you i'm not here for this you know and kanye like doesn't get it he doesn't get it like he tried Chappelle tries to to tell him in so many words like he tries to be very genuine and sincere like yeah i'm here i'm here for you man and kanye's like no man perform for the camera like i need to put something on my twitter basically and I think he needs a break that, that from disconnect. Yeah, yeah, he just needs a break from fame. And I, you kind of wish that like the media conglomerates would get together and be like, we're going to stop covering him for like a year, you know, or since it's never going to. So that's yeah. And it doesn't help that he married into the most media hungry family in the history of, you know, America or something, you know, and what one thing is for sure is fame. Public life is not good for him. It just isn't good for him. Uh, whenever he says, I'm just going to focus on the music now, in my head, I'm like, yes, do that. Just please just do that, Kanye. It's good for you. It's good for everyone. That's probably where you're happiest. That's where you make a great impact. Just do that. He seems incapable of uh, staying in that avenue. I, I don't know. Yeah, he, he, is, he has been an egotistical asshole. He has a lot of issues. Uh, he's clearly... He clearly has mental health issues. He is clearly a, a brilliant artist. He's all those things, and yeah, I don't know. Speaking, it's a, it's a bummer. Yeah, speaking of mental health issues, um, have you looked at the test that the president keeps bragging about passing? <laughs> I saw the the last page that uh, Chris Wallace mentioned and looked at all the questions there. Went because specifically because Trump said the last five questions are very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite, like subtle part of the interview is when he's like, well, you know, it's one of the last questions is counting backwards from a hundred by seven. Uh, yeah. and Trump keeps talking. And then like, if you listen quietly in the background, you just hear Chris Wallace 93. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah. Trump just continues. Like you would not be able to answer those questions. Yeah, it just doubles down, and then like that. Does he not know that test is available for people to look at? Yeah, it's been widely circulated at this point, and it's it's incredible. You can go look at it, and like literally, one of the questions is like, is, is what is this animal? And it's like it's a lion, it's a elephant, yeah, it's an the, elephant, you know. And there's a camel or a rhino. I mean, there there are different versions, but they all basically contain the same type of question, and one of them is just like tells the questioner to say a phrase and the person being tested has to repeat it out loud like the the like a statement like i knew joe was the person to come over today yeah and then like and if the <laughs> the, the person being tested can just repeat that statement out loud they pass that question another is yeah count backwards from 100 in intervals of seven so like 93 86 79 72 and you have to do it up to like five or six numbers so you have to get like you know 93 86 79 72 65 you have to get to like 65 or something and you you get points if you get three out of five of those wrong 
Yeah. <laughs> you still get points. It's fucking insane. And just the idea of Trump overly admitting that he had to take a dementia test. And like Brack and like he spent multiple interviews. He spent another he spent a two, he gave a 2-minute answer today to a reporter. I don't know if you saw the clip of him like doubling down like no, no, no. They're really hard questions. Like the, they're going to ask you to say like camera man uh TV man woman and like say those words in a particular order and then they're gonna like ask you to repeat that back and then like a a surprise like 15 minutes later they're gonna ask you to repeat it and i repeated it back and uh they were like oh my god oh my god i can't believe we've never seen this we've never seen (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah another another question on that final page was like basically a simile example like you just said like what they give the example like oranges to banana they're types of fruit and then one you have to answer is like it's bicycle is to car it's like wheels or tire yeah yeah yeah, whatever modes of transportation or whatever but these are how hard the questions are and he's like i can't believe there's like five interviews of him being like yeah i passed that thing yeah it's it's disturbing um it's whatever i mean like like i said like I, it drives me nuts that he started wearing a mask, or he wore it once, I should say. He he wore a mask and tweeted that it's patriotic to wear a mask now. And I yes. um, I do believe that he is maybe finally starting to at least admit a little bit that he's behind in all the polls. Like, and and all if he's wearing a mask or saying like things are going to get worse before they get better, that's literally like what people have been saying since fucking March. And he said that this week, and people are like, "Oh my god." He's turned a leaf. He's he maybe we're gonna not that we're gonna head in the right direction, but they're like maybe maybe the polls have scared him and he's gonna start acting right. And it's like no, he's not. You fucking morons. How many times do I have to read an article about this new tone he's striking? Like give me a yeah. give me a break. And it's just although to be fair, I do, I don't care what his reasoning is. He he has such a cult that if he starts saying wearing a mask is patriotic and that leads Trump supporters to start wearing masks, then then good. I'm fine. Yeah, of course. Sure, yeah. I don't give a shit. Please just keep saying that until we can get this virus under control again because it is a nightmare how out of control the coronavirus has gotten in the United States. It's, It's frankly embarrassing. It is really, really embarrassing that we are so... This virus has so taken over America's way of life. And you look at every other country that has dealt with it around the same period of time and how under control places like Italy and Spain and Germany and Korea have this virus. It's 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 fucking embarrassing. And so if if he's finally turning a new leaf or whatever, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't give a shit why he's saying it's patriotic to wear a mask. I'm just glad he's finally saying it. Like, fuck you. Thank you for finally saying it. Yeah. But even as I said earlier, there was no doctors. Uh, Dr. Fauci said he was not invited to this conference. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening anymore. There's no doctors there. And basically all he said, there was no news. That's the other thing that came out of this conference. There's no no developments there's no announcements there's nothing that he's up there speaking about the the two headlines i guess that you might get out of it are that he says that there is they're developing a plan to deal with the situation motherfucker it there's 140,000 people who have died already like how do you not have a plan there's no plan that you haven't thought about it yet like what do you mean you're developing a plan to deal with it like that and just 
um, oh, the what's her name? The Giselle, the the billionaire who like yeah, Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, just he also during it, somebody asked him about her, and he just said like, "Man, I really wish her the best." You know, like I've met her. She's you know I don't know a whole lot about the situation, but I you know I'm really wishing her the best. And I'm like, dude, she's been arrested by the fucking federal the the FBI for selling children into sex slavery. You motherfucker. You're wishing... Yeah, but they're buddies. Yeah. They're friends, man. You can't have them turning on friends. Come on. Uh, it's like, dude, she... A, you're, you wish her well? Go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's disgusting. Anyway, um, this is just like... And, that, and yeah, I, it just drives me insane that like they're like, oh, he gave, a, he gave a press conference today where he didn't look like a complete jackass for 95% of the time and sound like a complete moron. And they're like, oh, he only was a complete moron for, you know... 75% of the time like look we're making progress yeah. it's so the bar is so fucking low that it's I can't believe it it's I mean I'm glad the polls indicate that maybe this might be over soon knock on wood maybe but fuck man until that day I don't I don't trust it I don't trust the polls no well I, I trust the polls I just don't there he he one thing is for sure and we saw it in 2016 his campaign micro-targeted and manipulated the electoral college in a brilliant way. So I don't trust polls. Um, but I want to go back to. I just love the idea of like, yeah, president, president throws shit at us every day. Didn't throw shit at us today. What a great president! It's like, nah, man, that's not how it works. But the thing, the thing that I really don't get, his Trump's acolytes, the the citizens who will just support him to the end of the world, right? Uh. Like you said, 140,000 people have already died from the coronavirus in America. And the economy in lots of places in the country are still shut down or at least severely hampered. Uh, There's a huge uh, political controversy right now about whether or not to return kids to school in the fall. So much is still unknown. Trump himself admits that they're developing a plan, which is a tacit admission that they have not developed a plan up until now, even though we've been dealing with this disease for this pandemic for almost half a year, right? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And now he's, he's quote-unquote, turning a corner on the mask. So this is what I don't understand. If you're a Trump stan and you're, you're anti-mask for all these months, you call it an assault on your civil liberties – you think Trump's doing a great job. And then you hear something like this, a, a press conference that, like you said, some people say like, oh, he maybe he's turning a corner and actually gave him positive marks, which is hilarious. What mental gymnastics do you have to do to not be furious with the guy? If you just listen to the words he's saying, it's not even about manipulating anything, but you listen to the words he's saying, how do you not reach a point where you're like, wait, I've been anti-mask for you. And now you're you're reversing course, and I'm I'm saying you're doing a great job with everything that's happening right now in the country, and you basically admit to me that you don't have a plan yet to battle this coronavirus. Like how do how do they how do they deal with that logically without their brains breaking? You know, it's the idea of the the statesmanship. You know that the federalism, the idea of like. No, I think it's good. He's just letting each state deal with it on their own and or like not deal with it on their I mean that is what he's doing, but I think through their I 
our their viewpoint, they're like, yeah, you know, he's letting Alaska deal with it how Alaska has to deal with it versus how Rhode Island has to deal with it, or you know, or something like that is what I guess they think he's doing right, or like by him saying like, I wear masks, you know, I think masks are great, but I'm just saying like if you know, I don't want to impose on anyone's freedom. So it, he kind of like plays both sides of it, where it's like, well, you don't wear a mask, and you've publicly discouraged it, and you know, said it's like a a tool of the left and shit. You know, like how is that? Yeah, and then we look at Portland and where are the state's rights there, right? Yeah, we have no rights. No one has any rights. It's a made-up thing that we tell ourselves. Dude, the, shit, the shit going on in Portland is as awful as this year has been. And it has been, I think we can safely say, the worst year of our lives. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I personally, I've had like more personally harmful years. But yeah, on, on, Talking about on a national, on a national level, level right? yes, this is pretty fucking bad. Um, the stuff that's happening in Portland right now is some of the most disturbing, scary shit of the entire year. I can't, I'm having a really hard time seeing what's happening there and comprehending it and, uh, just how to reckon with what's going on up there. It's really, really fucking disturbing. And I hope people are aware of it because I feel like it's not... I do think it's getting lost a bit. I I think it was. I think it's starting to get a little bit uh, more attention, especially as Trump has come out and commented saying that he wants to expand this to other major cities uh, where there is civil unrest, or as he likes to say, (laughs) like terrorist rioters or whatever, however he wants to phrase it. Um so I think there is starting to get a little more traction because of that. Um, but yeah, man, this is... I'm sure you've seen videos of some of the shit that's happening up there. But just like people people getting thrown into unmarked rented minivans by federal agents with no identifying tags, no badges. Cops, federal agents threatening to shoot citizens if they follow them. When the the citizens are just saying, we need to know where you're taking our friend who you're arresting without reading Miranda rights, without anything like that. We don't even know who you are, who you are. We don't know what your name is. Your your car has no identifying markers or tags. You don't have a badge. We don't know what your name is. We don't know where you're taking this person. And their response is, we will shoot you if you follow us. It's fucking insane. It's the fucking Gestapo. It is so insane, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's one of those things that's uh, you know from our our little bubble, it's hard to almost fathom. It's like, what do you mean, like, un like I? It's that idea. I was listening to George Carlin this weekend, of all people. Um, I just randomly found myself on YouTube watching old stand-up comedy bits from some of the bigger icons, and he has this bit called uh, "You Have No Rights," and it is about it's this whole stand-up bit it's 10 minutes long or so about him just talking about how in america rights are this thing that we have told ourselves that we have and how it's actually not really real we actually don't have he's like tell that to the japanese in the 40s in america who you know were just grabbed and thrown into concentration camps because you know their their father was from japan and that was it they're american citizens and it doesn't matter it's just those things get lost to time those, those people who arrested those Japanese people are never going to be punished for that. They were just doing their job. They were following the law. And, you know, talk to black people about their rights, about when it comes to police reform or whatever else. And, yeah, man, like, 
it, it's it's sad. It's scary. It's Orwellian. It's it's everything that's been said about it. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It sucks. You want to talk about uh, if you're more excited for what a, a Jazz Pelicans game or a Clippers Lakers game? <laughs> Uh, I am excited for the NBA today. Actually, there were some scrimmages, um, so there was actually live basketball taking place. There was a, a Nuggets uh, Wizards scrimmage down in the bubble in Orlando. Like you said in your intro, um, zero confirmed cases amongst the three hundred plus players down in the bubble as of Monday, which is great, great news. Uh, the NBA, it seems like they're doing an amazing job, as good as they can down there in the bubble to, to try to keep things as safe as possible for the players and the staff and everyone else who's down there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still not sh- like, it's one of those things where if we get to the end of October and we're at, we're watching the NBA finals with the last two teams in the bubble, then I'll believe that they pulled it off. Not, not cause I doubt the NBA. I think they're very well run business and I, I like Adam Silver the commissioner quite a bit um, but it just seems like a Herculean task but uh, it's it's amazing watching uh, a business operate something so smoothly and efficiently and uh, basically openly admit that they they looked at models from uh, foreign nations to help implement some of the practices that they're using to try to keep this as safe as possible, because God forbid, uh, America <laughs> it can be used as an example right now. But I'm very happy, like, and that there seems to be they seem to just have procedures in place. And so, you know, the NBA comes back on the 30th. You know, we're eight days away from the first meaningful game. Uh, baseball comes back this weekend. I think we're two days away from the first game from opening day. And then the NHL resumes um, in about two weeks. As far as we know, the NFL is going to uh, is not going to have any delays in their schedule. But you know, I look at the clusterfuck and the shit show of an organization like the NFL, and compare it to the NBA, which I've said for years. You know, it's apples and oranges the way those two leagues are run. And I'm very proud to be an NBA fan and. Uh, <laughs> never really proud to be an NFL fan. And it's like the the NFL was the only professional uh, of the four major uh, sports leagues in the United States, right? The NBA, NHL, NFL, and Major League Baseball. The NFL was the only one that had months before their season started. They're, they're, to, to put some type of plan, some implementation, some strategy in place, right? To, right, yeah. To make football sure season, testing is above board. Yeah, football season had just ended once it's all kind of kicked down in March. Exactly. Like, they had an entire offseason. And they're, they're days away from opening up training camps, and players are openly complaining to the media. Like, we haven't been told what the testing procedures are, how we're going to be kept safe from all of this. Like, the league hasn't said anything. Them, like the U.S. government, just let four months lapse without really doing anything, as opposed to the NBA, which had to pause its season. You know, it was a month away from its playoffs run, the most exciting time of the season. It had to stop that and then work towards a solution. And it, by all accounts, it seems like they're doing a great job. Um, so it I, I won't lie, man. It will be 
an amazing, amazing distraction. Um, it's weird. This is like the only time in my adult life uh, up until recently where I basically went months without like without opening my sports apps on my phone or looking up stats pages and highlights and stuff like that. Because, you know, even in the off season of a of a league like the NBA, you know, there's normally something else going on like baseball or, you know, there there are conversations and news stories happening, but things were literally put on pause. Um so this did not feel like, you know, an off season or something. This just felt like suddenly the sports leagues didn't exist for a few months and it was uh my life was less fulfilling. Yeah. Well, I was I, I'll basically put it that. I way. was thinking about when I worked in the news back in Ohio, I, my desk was next to the sports desk, so I, I sat near all the sports guys and heard their chatter frequently as I was uh, trying to publish my articles for the day. And basically, I was wondering, I was like, man, what are those guys doing? Like, all the local sports people, you know, who I, I was just thinking, yeah. I was like, man, are those guys just like fucking sitting at their desk, like, bullshitting all day now? Like, what are they doing? And I haven't watched much local news here in L.A., but when I was back home, my my mom and stepdad have it on quite a bit in the house. And yeah, they were just doing a lot of like, you know, in the history of this sport or this school or the, this player, like we're, we're trying to remember this or they're, you know, they talk about how COVID's relating to sports, you know, but there's just like, there's there, you can cl- clearly tell that they're not getting much uh, TV time. And I bet they're, they were pretty worried that if this would continue, they'd probably be, you know, some job cuts coming for the sports department. Maybe. I mean, the, you know, places like NBA TV and the major outlets, they were able to bank on, uh, from what I saw and from how I consumed sports as a fan during the last several months of quarantine and the leagues uh, going on pause, it was a lot of digging into the archives and um, maybe like brushing up on your history of the sport or of his particular league or team or whatever. It was a lot of watching old school games, you know, like classic NBA games. I did a lot of that, especially early on in the quarantine when, you know, it was suddenly three weeks or four weeks without basketball. And it was suddenly like, oh, right now March Madness should be happening or the NBA playoffs should be starting. And I really miss basketball. And I would go watch, you know, like classic 80s Celtics games or something like that. And then obviously we had the last dance for a few weeks which was great. Um, Yeah. Just seeing, seeing like the Celtics and other teams um, holding practices and seeing the footage from that in news reports and uh, sports journalists tweeting about it. It's getting me very excited, man. I can't, I can't wait to have it back. Basketball is a huge part of my life and I love it dearly. And the Celtics will be there. Um, Friday. Friday. I see that they're playing the uh, Milwaukee. They're playing Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee with uh, presumed uh, MVP of the league, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who won it last year. He'll probably win it again this year. And Milwaukee, I would say, is the favorite out of the East to make the NBA Finals. So I don't know if you know, but they're based, so they're basically coming back. Uh, you know, eight eight teams aren't aren't down in the bubble. Twenty two teams are. They're gonna everyone's gonna play eight games. Then the playoffs start. So after eight games, they'll go from having 22 teams down in that bubble to 16. And it's going to be like a reality show, man. Like as the playoffs can advance and teams get eliminated, it's going to be like they the players all walk out onto the van. And they haven't been given a rose 
and they have to leave the premises. I'm, it's going to be pretty crazy. I really hope there are some filmmakers down there recording this whole thing because it will it will make one of the great sports documentaries of all time. This experience down in this Orlando bubble. It's called the bubble. I'm sure that's what it'll be called. Um, the bubble. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there will be some filmmakers down there. Some uh, certainly some ESPN film people will definitely be there. Uh, getting yeah. some 30 for 30 for our later years in life. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be very interesting. I, you know, especially like you said, where there's not going to be fans, you know, in the, you know, it's going to be an odd watch. Have, have you seen how they're, how they're handling the lack of fans? No, I, are they just changing the way they shoot the, the game? So I, I, I've seen it now in uh, European soccer where uh, leagues have already resumed activities for a few weeks in some instances and you know major league baseball and now the nba have had exhibition games you know their 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 preseason games and major league baseball in you know the the regular camera shot of a baseball game you have the pitcher in the foreground the umpire with the batter and catcher further in the background and then like the first couple rows of fans right behind home plate they have put cardboard cutouts of people in the seats that's weird. And they are piping in fan noise into the broadcast. So I guess at the stadium, you know, it's super quiet. But on the broadcast, it sounds just like any other game. I I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't like that. I want to hear what it's like. For, I, I want to hear what it's like for the players. Maybe they're scared that we're, it'll be too dirty or something. They'll be like, oh, we don't want to hear what they're yelling. It's going to be vulgar. We got to send. Yeah, yeah it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. We got to have some noise. Distra- I mean, yeah, that's weird. I guess you can't have music the whole time. I, I don't know what you do, but um, I don't know what you do either. But I, w- I wanted to hear it at least, at least for a little while. I want to hear the, especially in basketball where there's so much communication. Like communication is such a huge part of that game, you know, amongst your team, amongst teammates, just because the action is so quick. It's not like baseball, which is just a pitcher versus a batter, kind of a lot of one-on-one as a team sport. You know, basketball is just constant movement, five-on-five, like a lot of switching, changing game plans, defenders, movement without the ball. And there's always, you know, like a de facto captain kind of ordering people around. You know, like LeBron James is famously one of those players who is, you know, ordering his teammates around all over the court. And I want to hear that. I want to hear that over the course of a whole game. It's just, it's a whole other aspect of the game that we're not really privy to on a tv broadcast and i'm bummed out that they're not going to give us that experience i guess they just think it'll be too weird it'll probably be yeah they're probably think it'll be weird and awkward but you know it's no awkward than if you went and sat down and watched a fucking i don't know game at a park you know an intense five on five game or something i don't know um with you know like i said maybe it has something to do with the vulgarities or not wanting play names being that clear i don't know who the fuck knows but um, it'll be interesting, along with seeing especially how out of shape some of them are. I'm curious to see how uh, the points are at first and some of the other, you know, how intense the play is going, you know, at least in the first yeah. few games. I've, I've the, the only reports I've heard in terms of people being in shape or not is that most most players are in really good shape. And I, it's, a, it's allowed a lot of people who are injured to have time to get healthy, you know, cause we're at, we're at the point now where we would already be five, six weeks into the NBA off season. You know, yeah. we should have had an NBA champion a month ago That's and now we're, we're about to start the playoffs. It's pretty crazy. 
Um, like the, this, if all goes according to plan, this, an NBA champion will, will be crowned like within a week of when next season should start. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I guess we'll wait and see. Hopefully they keep that bubble nice and tight and, uh, they don't have to shut down the games after like half the halfway through or something like that. Yeah, that would be a, a huge fucking bummer. I really hope that doesn't happen. But we, I mean, I can't imagine we're going to go between now and October without a player not getting uh, infected. Yeah, that seems impossible. And so, it, and so it'll be interesting to see how that's handled, how it affects the team of whoever the player is a member of. It, obviously, you know, I, I think the plan is if someone does get the virus, they will immediately have to have to go in isolation they obviously cannot play until they're deemed medically safe and clear and free of the virus which probably means you know like uh, up to two weeks off play so in the middle of a playoff run you know i feel like a lot of this could end up being the luck of the draw like yeah the lakers are, are burning through the playoffs and then suddenly lebron gets coronavirus and they get eliminated like i i could see something like that easily happening it's crazy well, we will wait and see. I guess that that's that's more of a next week conversation. I guess we'll we'll follow, well something to look for. Maybe to. maybe two weeks from now it'll just be kicking on weeks, probably yeah. once we're uh, recording the next one. But the week after that, maybe we'll we'll do sports in the in the day of coronavirus or sports Absolutely. sports in the time of coronavirus, uh, as in as the book is called. Um. You ready to talk about some music? You want to talk about something positive? I guess sports are more positive than some of the other news we were talking about, but we can dive into some music if you're ready. Let's do it. All right. Last week, we talked about the best films of the year so far. It's been a crazy year for film because obviously with the theatrical experience removed, we've had all kinds of titles be delayed and, you know, moved to next year. We haven't had access to them, so we've had to kind of turn to streaming and smaller titles and other things for nourishment. But in the world of music, outside of touring, a lot of major new releases have still come out. So even though Tom and I have spent many of the recent weeks talking about a number of releases that I'm sure will come up again here in this list, we did, in the spirit of our best films of the year so far, want to follow that up with our best albums of the year so far, because Tom especially has listened to a ton of new releases. I have a nice collection of favorites that I will be happy to talk about. And yeah, we just wanted to dive into the year so far because it's been a good year. It's been a good, interesting year. And as it usually is, there's so many artists these days, you know, like if you're digging, you can find good stuff. But, you know, let's talk about the good stuff we found this year. Yeah, um, we've had a few music episodes this season. Um, Our first season of the podcast back in the day, we did a couple music episodes. I remember we reviewed Kendrick Lamar's Damn. We did a whole episode talking about like the state of the the top fifty hot trending songs or whatever. Yeah, I'd like to do that again at some point. Yeah, I would too. Um, and I will say, yeah, the the one obviously live music has been interrupted, but um, the state of uh, music releases hasn't seemed to uh, the coronavirus hasn't seemed to have damaged that at all, which is great because. I have turned to music, like you said, this year, uh, new music in particular, more than I have in most recent years, um, especially in the the months of the lockdown and the quarantine and the virus shutting down our, our world. Um, I've turned to music as a huge uh, emotional release 
and just a way to entertain myself and a way to honestly I I like you know me Phil I like to consume art in a very obsessive way whatever I'm doing at the moment whether it's watching a bunch of movies or listening to music or reading books I'm, I'm I become very obsessive about it and I like to catalog everything and rank everything and figure out its place in the culture and at its time period or, or whatever so um music has uh become one of my new music has become one of my major obsessions of the year so while i was uh maybe deficient in our top 10 movie list last year or last week i feel very comfortable uh talking about my top 10 albums of the year so far because i've probably listened to 60 or 70 2020 releases uh full albums this year um anything that i've that i've actually rated or is especially every anything that's on this list or an honorable mention is an album i've listened to multiple times and uh there's still so many more that i haven't had a chance to get to yet because i'm just one man Phil. yeah but one of my criteria um, was that i had to have listened to the whole album multiple times that was kind of my yeah. like it needs to at least like it can't just be like oh i've listened to a few tracks and really like that and maybe that'll crack the list that wasn't good enough. Yeah, my uh, my latest uh, entry on this uh, list is an a, an artist that I had listened to a few times, but always, and I really liked the album, but kind of always while I was reading or something or doing something else, and I was like, okay, I know I like the sounds of it, but I really have to sit down and just be with this album to make sure. And it's an album I'm guessing is going to be on your list as well. But um, that's it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's been a really interesting year for music there there will be some uh some uh, crossover with some earlier episodes we've recorded um there'll be some familiar albums that we've talked about so i won't spend too much time on those but um i think it's been a great year for diversity in music um i think it's been a great year for pop i think it's been kind of a nice return to some great rock albums uh even some that that didn't make my list or my immediate honorable mentions right outside my top 10 but there i think there there are a ton of good uh rock albums this year that i've really enjoyed from bands that are kind of making some some comebacks you know um which has been very enjoyable to listen to but yeah um i'm ready to get into this whenever do you want to start you want me to start how do you want to go about it well remind me do you want to do a top 10 or 11 i top 11 is kind of my uh divergent point like i I could easily, after 11, kind of separate that from a bunch of honorable mentions. So No, whatever. Let's do, let's do number 11. Let's do top 11s of the year. Okay. Um, well, uh, I, yeah, I'm looking at my list now. I made a top 15, as I was telling you earlier. And my 15, I would say, are certainly the 15 that I've probably spun multiple times, have enjoyed as full albums, not just as one or two songs that I've really enjoyed. There's If, if we were doing a best singles of the year list it would be probably you know a completely different list in some ways but you know looking at these as full albums i'm trying to look at you know themes or something and the only thing that's really lacking that i wish there was more of that's usually on other lists is i don't have a lot of black female artists and normally they're pretty high on my list and i i found that although there were some major releases um what i was really drawn to this year was I would say some very calm music. I, maybe it's the chaos of the year, but I've definitely been into music that calmed me and and in some ways 
Yeah, I don't have a. I wouldn't say they're all sad as I'm looking at the list, but I I definitely seem to turn to music as a way of like soothing myself at this time, as opposed to like there's there are while there are a few other titles, there's not a lot of like, you know, just bouncy fun things or high energy, just like let's go on a road trip and rock the world type songs or something. You know, it's not a lot of that. It's a lot of like mid-tempo serious kind of just like calming stuff that I, I really love and enjoy and I'm excited to talk about but um yeah that's uh, that's what I'm you know and I guess in that vein I'll dive into my number 11 which is one I sent you the other day which because I assumed you hadn't heard of it um only because I had only just recently heard of her her name is Zberg like Z is in Zelda Berg B-E-R-G Zberg her album is called Get Z to a Nunnery and I was looking at a way to describe the artist, and I, I found her uh, Spotify profile, and I r- realized the first sentence kind of summed it up perfectly. It's a, a sort of gothic romance femme fatale folk record. And Ooh. yeah, it's called Get Z to the Nunnery, and it's, it's you know, largely pretty slow tempo, but it's, a, it's like a mixture of like, imagine a woman doing jazz ballads, but they're not jazz ballads. It's like slow acoustics, but with like some violin, some haunting violin in there or something. And it's very nice and calm. And there's some very, uh, hypnotic tracks. And it's just one that I've returned to any number of times. And I wanted to make sure if it was my number 11. So I wasn't sure if I was going to get a chance to talk about it, but I'm excited. That's why I was like, let's do 11. So I can talk about this one because it's not very popular. And I just kind of accidentally stumbled across this album. I honestly don't even remember where I think it was just suggested to me by Spotify at some point. And, but I would definitely recommend checking it out over the last, it just came out uh, two weeks ago and I've fallen madly in love with it and it's beautiful. So there's a song, there's a few songs in there I'd recommend. Um, I fall for the same face every time, uh, to forget you and the bad list are probably the three biggest ones that I would recommend, but yeah, check that out. It's called get Z to the nunnery to a nunnery by Zberg. number 11 is an album by a band who had not released a studio album in nearly 30 years oh the album is called alphabet land the band is called x do you know I, x? oh i know x yeah um fourth of july is my favorite song by yeah, they're uh, they're an LA based punk rock band. They were they were I, I wouldn't say huge in the eighties, but they were they had a cult following, a a, a decent sized following in the eighties. They've they made a honestly a ton of great albums, uh particularly in the eighties. Their debut album came out in nineteen eighty called Los Angeles. Um and then they just went on a tear with uh Wild Gift in eighty one, Under the Big Black Sun in eighty two. More fun in the New World in '83, Ain't Love Grand in '85. So, and they they released I think seven or eight albums. Um, 
their last album before 2020's Alphabet Land was 1993's Hey Zeus, but Alphabet Land is their first album with their the original lineup um, from the 19 like going back to the 1980 Los Angeles debut LP. Alphabet Land is the first album with that lineup in 35 years since 1985's Ain't Love Grand, which is a great album as well. Um, and this came out in April of this year. It's uh, lean and mean punk rock, pop punk rock, I would call it. Uh, it's 27 minutes long, the whole album. And it's just a blast, man. Um, what's the name? Sorry, I'm looking up the name of uh, their singer. Uh, XL Cervenka is her name. I just, I love her voice over the, the kind of happy punk sounds of a lot of their out al- their album tracks. Um, this is a band I got into a lot last year, actually. Um, over the past couple of years, I've found myself drifting towards punk music more and more. And so X was a band I was familiar with, but hadn't really dove into too much. And I ended up falling in love with their, their eighties output. So when I found out that they put out their first album in three decades, I was very excited. It felt like perfect timing for me. And yeah, it's one of, uh, I've returned to a lot this year. My number 11 is alphabet land by X. I heard about them because they were on the Sopranos soundtrack and uh, they had a song on there and I saw an interview at some point with uh, Mr. Steve, you know, uh, little Stevie from uh, the show who was always in charge of all, getting all the music and stuff and helping David Chase and he talked about them and that was kind of what drove me to them. But I actually had not heard that they had a new album out. So that's uh, very interesting. I will add that to my list. If you have 27 free minutes, go for it. Ah! But these days, I think I can find that. All right. Uh, my number 10 is an album I briefly mentioned a few episodes ago. It is uh, by a solo male artist named Christian Lee Hudson. He is uh, an Americana musician, I would say. He, he does a lot of um, very just soft, gentle acoustic melodies. And I would I think his album, as I described it earlier, sounds like a lost Elliott Smith album. Even his voice isn't that far off. And it's just a beautiful record. It was produced by Phoebe Bridgers, who may or may not come up later. And she it's very much in line with some of her earlier work and some of the sounds that she's been putting together over the last couple of years. And it seems, I, I believe he's done some tours with her and played on her albums in the past. And basically, they became friends. She produced this record. And there's definitely a kind of, they're in the same family of music. And it's obviously something I've been drawn to this year. And there's any number of tracks that, I could, I'll play, I'll play one track right now. I was new in town, kind of goth. I met you in the science quad. You asked if I had any pot. We're going up to Mikey's spot. Covering important ground. Tried cocaine at my cousin's house Yeah, I'm probably addicted now The things that children lie about 
I don't know what that what I just played, but I'm gonna decide later. I just played some beautiful track from the album, and sounded great. It was beautiful, and yeah, it's that's all I can say about it. This is one of those albums that I look at. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that soft, soothing album that I've put on just to kind of like calm me down over the last few, however many months since it came out. Maybe one. Yeah, it's somewhat recent. It's only like a month or maybe two old, but. It's one of my favorite albums of the year. It's it's a very small, quiet album, but I would recommend it. Cool, man. Uh, number 10 for me. Uh, we're switching over to rap now, from punk rock to rap. Uh, this is an album called Ajay, A-J-A-I, from Serengeti, who's a Chicago-based rapper. Um, the credit to the album goes to Serengeti and the producer, Kenny Siegel. I, I wasn't sure... Uh, where this was going to end up on the list if it was going to even make the top 10 depending on the day this album can go as high as like number 6 or 5 of the year for me and it can go as like 14, 15 of the year it varies a lot depending on my mood ultimately I, I did want to include it because I wanted to talk about it because I think it's a really unique hip hop album it's it's kind of it's a concept rap album um, and Ajay the the name of the album, AJAI again, for people who want to look it up, uh, is basically the the titular character of the record, and he's basically this like this young uh, this young sneakerhead. Like uh, I think he's probably a, a teenager or something like that in the album, and it kind of just talks about his life, um, and it becomes a very story based record. And I'm just super drawn to this album. The production from Kenny Seagal is great, or Kenny Seagal, not sure you pronounce his name. And Serengeti's raps are just super fun. Uh, he when he gets into the character of Ajay, he kind of alternates between uh, like this omniscient narrator and uh, Ajay himself, and uh, he plays with his voice a lot. He's got a great flow. Um, he kind of like he kind of rises the pitch of his voice up a little bit and it gets a little nerdy sometimes with the flow, which I find really enjoyable. It's just a very fun, um, creative rap album. And I've heard some good rap this year. There, there are other albums that I really liked, like, uh, Jay Huss put out a good record. Um, uh, Freddie Gibbs put out another great record with the alchemist called Alfredo Mad Lib and the professionals have a good rap album, but this is probably, not my absolute favorite. Uh, we all know what, what that's going to be later on in the list. But this is definitely one of my favorites of the year. Um, Serengeti's Ajay with Kenny Siegel producing. Well, you just mentioned my number nine, which is also a rap album. It is Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs. Oh, shit. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Freddie Gibbs has just been over the last like decade. He's released, like an, I think, an album a year. And they're all just very consistent. I, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to... It's hard to say that he's breaking new ground or doing anything like massively, you know, different from anything that we've heard before. But what you get from him rather than that, rather than, you know, some of the new sounds that have come out of hip hop, what you get from him is I just think classic flow, great, great rhymes, great lyrics, good beats, like very classical beats. He's not doing anything new, but what he's doing is consistent and smart and cool and like they're it's so tight and it's just straight hip-hop in a way that i think a great deal of new hip-hop is kind of lacking uh i think they've kind of especially that kind of druggy 
you know, droning kind of drug rap that's taken over, especially lately. And the, especially the sing songy stuff. This is not like that. This is kind of just straight selling drugs and loving guns type hip hop that I think you and I probably grew up on more than younger people have now. And I just, I, it's a, it's 35 minutes. It's a quick listen. And yeah, I really love it. As you already mentioned, it is produced by the alchemist who is an, a fantastic producer. And yeah, it's just, it's one of the, it's the, the tightest hip hop album I've heard this year and I've returned to it consistently. Yeah, it's a great choice. It's an honorable mention for me. He's just one of those uh, rappers right now that is just doing work, as they say. He has a couple of great albums with uh, Mad Lib, one, yeah. one last year and one from the wow, like twenty fifteen or something like that. Yeah, he's and, he's great. Yeah. I love Freddie Gibbs. Just missed my top eleven. Cool. What's your number eight? Uh, number nine, right? Oh yeah, that, that was my that number, was nine. number yeah, nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my number nine is an album from an artist. I think I've mentioned them on the podcast, but we haven't really reviewed. Uh, the band is Porridge Radio, and the album is called Every Bad. Um, I've heard this one. Yeah, we've definitely mentioned it. Yeah, this is this was is one of the earliest albums on the list for me. I think this came out pretty early in the year, or like I think it came out right before. Uh, the world shut down, so it was one I listened to a lot uh, the first few weeks of uh, quarantine, and it really um, it helped. I guess I don't know what else to say about that, but um, uh, basically, this is the the second album from the band Porridge Radio. Um, their their leader is a uh, her name is Dana Margolin, and uh, Porridge Radio is a lot of. <sighs> I don't want to call it anthemic pop. It's a little darker and moodier than anthemic pop, uh, but it's it's taking pop music and um, using using pop music for a lot of emotional catharsis, um, and that's what I'm really responding to whenever I listen to Porridge Radio. It's just. I haven't singled out any songs, any tracks yet, so I will ask Phil to put in uh, the song Lilac from the album Every Bad by Porridge Radio right now. If you want to put in maybe like a clip from the last minute or minute and a half, and you can get a sample of what I'm talking about. that phil did that you all know what i'm talking about it's just it's very emotional pop music uh that makes me uh i don't know want to have like a good cry and that's what i like about it cool also strange connection with my number eight um something that you just mentioned which is it oh sorry i was talking and i you were muted Anyway, uh, I'll tell you that. I was muted, or you were muted. I, I, I'm sorry. I was muted, and I was talking. Okay. Yeah, I'm, Any- I'm, I'm done. On to, on to you. Porridge Radio. You have your first bit of homework to put in lilac. 
Well, I that yeah, I was responding with there is a song called Lilac on my number eight album, which I think is a, also a fantastic album. It is uh, Waxahachie's album Saint Cloud. Ooh, I was waiting for this to show up on your list. I knew it was yeah. going to be there somewhere. Yeah, it's um, her Waxahachie is Katie Crutchfield. It's her um, new album, and the album was it's called Saint Cloud, and it was inspired by her struggles with alcoholism, which kind of came. I think to its peak during her last album, uh, during the tour when she was partying a lot and touring and kind of lost on the road and she decided to get sober and this new album kind of confronts a lot of that and it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's kind of rural Americana country, female singer, songwriter stuff. And it's very indie is more indie than country, but it kind of has that, you know, classic Americana vibe to it. And there's tracks like Lilacs, which is beautiful, but the track that I'm going to probably highlight is Fire, which is a song that's probably in my top five or 10 of the year. Um, I've listened to it endlessly and along with the rest of the album, but that song in particular has really stood out to me. And this album in, in general is incredible. It's beautifully written. And I, I don't know what else to say about it. I wish, I wish I had better things besides it's just good, but that's all I have. You know, it's just solid songwriting, very simple, very emotional. And her voice is doing some crazy things that often I think when I'm playing the record, especially like in front of my wife, uh, Shell's kind of like, what's she, what the fuck is that? Uh, or she, she's hitting notes that might not seem immediately like the right note to hit at that moment. But as you hear the whole album, you're like, oh, it's, it's a beautiful touch. It's so unique. And she has a crazy voice and I, I can't recommend it enough. So that is, St. Cloud from Waxahachie. I take it for granted If I could love you unconditionally I could iron out the edges of the darkest sky For some of us It ain't enough It ain't I know um, I know you've loved that album. I've heard that one as well. I liked it a lot. Didn't make my list, but I, I have noticed as we hit the late June, early July period of the year when a lot of publications are putting out their halfway uh, year-end lists, I've seen St. Cloud pop up a lot and pop up very high on a lot of top 10 lists. So you're not alone there. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it makes me want to revisit it because maybe I'm... Uh, Maybe I'll appreciate it more if I give it a couple more spins. I don't know. Not that I, I didn't like it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say generally, I think taste-wise, it probably leans more. I, I think of the two of us, I tend to be a bit more into the folk, I guess, or some, whatever you want to call it, that kind of like singer-songwriter Americana sound or something that I think is largely associated with. I mean, I know you like the classical versions of it, like whenever, obviously, like Neil Young or someone's doing it, but I feel like a lot of new artists don't, at least in my history with you, I don't hear a lot of those artists being your favorites. I, you know, you tend to be like a, a funk guy to me or something when I'm talking to you about music. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I do like it. I guess it's it's more a question of um, finding artists that really separate themselves, you know? That was for, sort of for, my... I. 
I will admit that was sort of my hesitation about it, especially when I was comparing it to uh, something like Zberg or something. I was like, how many like sad singer songwriter women can I have on my list? You know, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I did have that kind of dilemma about it, but ultimately, like I had to just kind of admit that that album in particular had gotten way more spins than some of the other ones this year that I I could I will talk about as honorable mentions later. Yeah. Yeah, man, you like what you like. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, my uh, my number eight is another album I've talked to you privately about a lot. Uh, it's the band U.S. Girls, their album Heavy Light. Um, again, I don't know what to say about this one other than I've listened to it a ton. It is uh, pop rock. Again, um, the, the album is mixed with these uh, really weird interstitial tracks of like interview montages where the, the the track of the title of a particular track will kind of be a question like what was your bedroom like growing up and it's just a weird montage of people like answering that question um to the point where they kind of all uh mix and roll over each other's answers and it becomes this weird like smorgasbord of of different answers um and in between that you get really great uh, pop rock energetic songs with a lot of emotion. Um, I will single out another track. Uh, we'll go with Four American Dollars from the U.S. Girls album Heavy Light to get an example of what I'm talking about. That's my number eight. Yeah, I like that album quite a bit. It was one of those albums. It's actually on my, I had a May albums playlist. And it was, I think, one of the last times we were talking about music. That was one of the ones. It's right after Porridge Radio, actually, on that playlist. Um, And another album that I'm going to talk about later is on that list right after this one. But yeah, uh, so I definitely know uh, this has been a favorite of yours since uh, at least for a couple months now. And I have definitely given it a a spin since then. I'm kind of the reverse of what we just said. I'm a big fan. I liked it a lot. And, uh, but yeah, I'd probably, I didn't have quite the same affection for it as you might, but I was definitely a big fan of it. Cool. All right. My number seven is another one that I I suggested that you listen to because I don't, they're kind of a smaller band right now. Um, but I hope they get bigger. It's only their second album. My number seven is called floater by happiness. Uh, the band happiness. They are a London based band. It's their second album. They were a trio on their first album, but their uh, guitarist left and since then, uh, the band, the the drummer for the band, whose name is Ash Kanazi, uh, came out of the closet as as queer and also as a drag queen. He wanted to start dressing as a drag queen. So now the band is uh, lead singer and lead songwriter John Allen, and his drummer slash co lead co lead singer, uh, who's now dressing in drag and playing every show, playing the drums, uh, dressed in glamorous pink dresses and other things. So. They've kind of undergone this big transformation, especially visually, even uh, in the last, yeah, since their last album. And this new album is kind of an extension of that original sound. It's still the original songwriter, 
but it's it's kind of gone in a new direction, especially with this new creative collaboration going on. And the sound of the album is kind of a. I I want I I talked about it earlier on a previous episode. It's like Elliot Smith meets uh, crunchy reverb and guitar and '90s guitars. It's like a kind of slacker rock album, but it's like there's kind of uh, the, the guy's voice actually to me sounds exactly like Elliot Smith, but it's kind of surrounded by extended you know sessions of you know guitar and gu- not guitar solos necessarily but kind of these riffs and kind of jamming and extended most of the songs are around five to seven minutes long they're pretty long songs but that's th- because they're so full of these like lengthy diversions into like beautiful melodies that kind of mix in with this kind of garage rock sound and i love the album so much and i love their their first album a lot too and I, I, yeah, they're just not a very big band, but I've continued to be a quite big fan of them over the years. And their name is Happiness, and that is spelled with a Y, Happiness with a Y. So that is, and that is my number seven. So happiness in the pursuit of styling. Correct. The, the way Will Smith spells it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking up uh, a review from NME.com, New Music Express, and they compare the some of the bands they compare them to are Teenage Fan Club, The Flaming Lips, Pavement, Sparkle Horse, and Dinosaur Jr. So that's pretty high praise. Yeah. And actually, I you know, it's weird. I was looking up reviews of the album because i was trying to find some information to kind of talk about it and that nme is the worst review that that album got so um if you go to like metacritic that's like the lowest reviewed so it's it's been a very well received album and even nme gives it a pretty good rating but yeah i mean it's a it's a very good record it's it's in good company i think you would like them especially i think that they're one of the ones that i recommended that i really think you would take to if you sat down and kind of dug into it yeah, I'm, I'm going to prioritize it because, uh, like I said, listing those bands, Pavement is a personal favorite. I love Teenage Fan Club. I like Sparkle Horse a lot. I'll, I will check those, those guys out for sure. All right, that's your number seven? Yeah, that was my number seven. Okay, my number seven uh, to finish off a trilogy of female rock bands. This is Haim's album, Women in Music Part 3. Um this is when I expect Phil. Is this on your list? Do you not want to spoil yeah, it? Yeah, it's on my list. I was going to say I can talk about okay. it now where it's at or kind of wait however you want to do it. Yeah, let's, let's just talk about it together. Sure. Um, so this is the the album I mentioned earlier as uh, the one that I, I had to just sit down and focus on because it was one I've been putting on a lot while I go on my uh, reading walks, you know, and listen to music while I do that. Yeah. And I just kept going back to this album. Uh, the first couple times I spun it, I, I liked it, but I, I did, wouldn't say I loved it. But I also knew, like, well, you haven't really given it a fair shot yet, so th- these are just kind of background listens. Um, but I just kept returning to it over and over and over. And so this is how I've been listening to a lot of new music, is I 
I find an album or an artist I want to check out. And a lot of times the first listener to will be while I'm going on a walk, usually while I'm reading. Um, and if the music kind of just sinks in, uh, is pleasant in the background, then I'll, I'll return to it, you know? And that's, that's how I find a lot of this music. Um, Haim obviously is a band I was familiar with, so I knew I was going to check out their, their newest album. And as I kept returning to it in that fashion, I kept getting distracted from reading. So I was finally like, all right, let's just sit down with this album and have it out sort of. And this, it has become easily my favorite album from them. Uh, I think it is, I wouldn't call it a new direction, but an elevation of their style. Um, I think it is sneakily um, a very complex album with a lot of interesting sounds. Like it is, it is not just a collection of, pop rock songs you know yeah um i think there's a lot more going on underneath the surface i think it's um it can uh it can deceive you into thinking it's a very simple album when it really is not that at all and i love it for that that's why it's uh, one of my favorites of the year what do you think yeah it's my number four and i have been a fan of heim f- I, I i know that i knew their first album okay and i liked it okay but it was their second album that I really got obsessed with. And that was when I really fell in love with the band. And to be honest, anyone who knows me knows that I have a very, very, very deep love for Paul Thomas Anderson. And he directs like 90% of their music videos at this point. And he released this thing called Valentine, which was three of their songs off the last album. And that was, those three songs sounded incredible to me. And that's what really got me jazzed about their last album when that came out. And ever since then, Track by track, I have followed them, and I love their last album, so I have been anticipating this album, you know, basically since their last album, and I'm looking at the track listing now, and of the 16 tracks that are on the album, six of them were released, like, in a a good deal of time before the album actually dropped, because this was one of the albums that got delayed because of coronavirus. They were planning on releasing it a couple months before they actually did, so a, a good chunk of the album had been released already as kind of singles and bonus tracks and stuff leading up to it. And I guess that kind of colored my first listens as well. I was kind of like, well, I love the six songs I've gotten used to, but I, you know, the other ones around it, I'm not so sure about yet. But in the weeks since then, since it's come out, I've kind of, like you said, just kind of had the whole thing on. It's very easy to just listen to the whole thing. It, even though it is somewhat long, the, the songs all kind of, you know, it, it's just a good vibe. And some of that for me is the Los Angelesness of it all. It's kind of a, a good LA album. And as someone who's new to the city, I've just kind of enjoyed that vibe. They're definitely an LA band and a number of the songs track one is called Los Angeles. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful record. And as you were saying about it being more complex, I think, you know, for those of you who don't know their sound, they're kind of like a Fleetwood Mac ish type thing, but with a little bit, maybe a little bit more dancing, a little bit more disco, maybe like more eighties Fleetwood Mac compared in with occasional dips into the seventies. But like, I think that's accurate. Yeah. yeah, and the they're like everywhere Fleetwood Mac more than Landslide Fleetwood Mac. And the but yeah, these songs I was reading interviews with the the girls are all sisters. Uh their last names are Heim for those of you who don't know. And the three of them after the last album went through some of their most traumatic times because the lead singer Danielle and lead songwriter her uh partner, he apparently got very sick and was dying and uh 
Danielle was dealing with that. He, he has since recovered, but many of the tracks that she wrote kind of dealt with her dealing with his illness and their, their partnership together as he was going through that. And the, the bass player uh, was dealing with health issues as she's a diabetic. And you can see her now when they're doing live versions of the song. She's actually got some of her like you know, her gear, uh, more atta- her diabetic gear kind of attached to her body now in ways that she hadn't before. Because I think her body just couldn't deal with some of the pressure she was putting on it from the tour. And the youngest sister who uh, plays uh, second guitar and a lot of other side instruments, her best friend died. I, I don't know exactly how, but somehow her best friend died. So all three of them were going through a very hard personal time getting into this album. And I think that really shines through in a lot of the tracks. They're, if you look at the lyrics, they're pretty dark at times. And But yeah, the thing that attracted to me is especially a song like Summer Girl, which is the last song. And it was one of the first, I think it was the first single they released. I think that's a beautiful mix of everything they do right. It's a It's a fun song that you want to hear played in the summer. But it's also about a woman who's saying to someone she loves like the line I keep thinking about is um walk beside me not behind me and um she and you know she says you know feel my unconditional love and it's this whole thing about you know loving her her partner and wanting him to get better and uh seeing her sisters and wanting them to get better and walking together and you know hand in hand and all that stuff and it's really touching and while also being a fun summer jam while also being an awesome sample of lou reed's walk on the wild side so it's like kind of all these things of being entertaining to listen to intellectually stimulating and also kind of like for music nerds fun as well so yeah they're the whole package for me i love them i love this album i can't say enough about it women in music part three that's that's what i feel about it very well said. I love uh, what you said about it being an L.A. album. I totally agree. Uh, like you said, the first track is called Los Angeles, and it just feels it just feels like Los Angeles. Uh, it's it's weird. I, I It's a vague thing to say, but it does. And obviously you mentioned their relationship to Paul Thomas Anderson. A lot of this album feels like it would be great uh, background music like you would hear in a car in a driving scene in a PTA film or something like that. Um and that's what I love about it too. Uh, I don't know. We can play the song uh, you highlighted. I, I was also going to suggest "Don't Wanna" for very similar reasons. Like it's a very catchy, listenable song, um, but the lyrics are are more um, serious than you would be led to believe by the actual instrumentation. So yeah, that's my number seven. Cool. Um, the yeah, uh, I will throw that track on there now. Ooh, you did me so bad. Also, really quick, I would just throw out that 3 a.m. is my favorite track. Um, That's a good yeah, one. It's, it, and the, pretty, they, they, if you listen to it on Spotify, they like Phil said with the bonus track, they have three bonus tracks which are just as good as anything on the album. Yeah. 
All right, my number six, I actually don't think I need to say much about. We did a whole review of it. If you want to, and my love of her is pretty well documented at this point. My number six is Carly Rae Jepsen, dedicated side B. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go go listen to our full like forty five minute chat about it. Um, yeah. I was like, I, <laughs> I, I was uh, talking to my sister when I was back home, and she, you know, she was talking about. She's like, hey, a lot of my family occasionally will come to me and be like, hey. How's that day? And I'll be like, ha ha ha. And uh, one of she was talking about how she would listen to our our episodes, and she's like, but then there was at some point where I was like, are they still fucking talking about Carly Rae Jepsen? And I was like, yeah, we were. You know, I love Carly Rae, and she deserves it. Carly's a great modern artist. Damn that's it. right. We went deep into this album, dedicated side B. It's uh uh mix for those of you who did not listen to that review it is a mix of songs that were left over from her album from last year called dedicated these are some of the leftover tracks that she compiled into a separate album and they are while side b's or b-sides if you will they are just as good as most people's you know a-sides and they're it's extraordinarily fun and poppy and bouncy and everything i want from a carly ray jepson album the thing that i turn to for for her during these dark times is that kind of bright pop bounce that I'm that you're not going to find anywhere else on my list really it's uh, I guess Haim has a few tracks but this is like pure Carly Rae Jepsen it's just like a pure fucking rainbow of joy in my life and that, and I need her sometimes and I, and I I've spun this album quite a quite a few r- ridiculous number of times so I, I if you want to hear more about it go listen to our review it's a few episodes back and yeah I, I, I adore this bit of silly pop but also important, you know, in, in dark did times. You, yes. Did you make a top 10 albums of last year or no? Uh, it's somewhere. I don't know if I have it immediately available. I'm sure it's probably somewhere in my phone. I'd, well, I'm just asking, uh, was dedicated on your list last year? Uh, if anything, dedicated would be higher on my list from last year. I, I, as I dedicated side B is number six on my list this year, but her last albums, emotion and side a of dedicated were, that uh, emotions like my, one of my number one albums of the decade um yeah. so but yeah dedicated side a i was a massive fan of but probably maybe even yeah. more so than side b yeah i think i like side a or, or just dedicated i guess a little bit more um side b did not make my my list it easily could have um maybe i didn't just because we had talked about it so much but i completely concur it deserves to be on anyone's list and she's a great artist and deserves the recognition my number six um this is probably the least known band on my list um it is basically a one-man operation. His name is Joe Stevens. I think he's a Brooklyn-based artist. Um, but he goes by Peel Dream Magazine. And the, the name of the album is Agitprop Alterna. Um, or Agitprop Alterna. Uh, this is his second album. I think his, his debut was 2018's Modern Metaphysic which I, I haven't had a chance to listen to yet, but I, I, I've heard it described as very minimalist with like a lot of synth loops, like background noises, hisses, swirls, um, soft vocals and stuff like that. So I, I, I heard this get a good review somewhere. I'm forgetting where, I apologize. Um, and they basically said it, it was a lot of that, uh, but a fuller sound and they likened this album to Stereolab. And to me, as someone who 
just this year has gotten huge into Stereo Lab as a band that I've I've always been aware of, but had never really sat down and listened to, and finally did this year and and realized that I had uh, not been listening to one of my favorite '90s bands. Basically, they they um, they're a band that I immediately just fell in love with and have devoured everything they've put out um, in 2020. So. Uh, hearing that there may be a modern equivalent to something like what Stereolab did in the 90s, I immediately threw this album on, and this is something that has just came out in the past couple of weeks, and fell in love with it. Um, this may end up higher on my list as the year goes by, but it's it's the newest entry so far, so number six was as high as I felt comfortable putting it. Uh, the the comparison to Stereolab is uh, completely accurate. Um, it's It's very... Uh, droney and moody and melodic. Um, it just, if you like uh, bands like, you know, like Distortion, rock, acid rock in the vein of Stereolab or My Bloody Valentine, uh, shit like that, I think you will definitely dig this album. Um, it has no real lulls. Um, track to track it's very solid which is why i made it so high on my list because just you know to do some some form of imitation of an artist or a sound that you like is one thing but you have to be consistent throughout to be a great album and i think he accomplished that so uh i would recommend if we want to listen to something track one is called pill um you can put that one on and that's you know a great example of what you're going to get throughout the album um so yeah that's my number six pill dream Peel, P-E-E-L, Dream Magazine, and the album is Agitprop Alterna. I am very unaware of that, but I like I like Stereo Lap, so I will definitely check that out. And Phil has muted himself and didn't realize again. What are you talking about? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I was saying before you had muted me, and that was your fault. That um, uh-huh. yeah, I like Stereo Lab, and I have not heard of this band, so I will check it out. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I think I think he'll dig it. All right. Um, my number five is another one that I suspect I sent this one to you as my list of ones that I suspected you might not have listened to. But I was actually kind of I was thinking maybe you wouldn't be into it. But I was curious by an earlier comment you made about how you're kind of getting into punk more. Um, my number five is Jeff Rosenstock's album No Dream. Um, Jeff Rosenstock has been kind of a mainstay in the pop punk uh, realm for the last you know decade or so. Um, he has released several surprise albums and this album, uh, is his fourth. It's called no dream. And it was just released also as a surprise back in May. And yeah, the album is just full of very political songs, very fun songs. They're, they're quick. They're, they're, uh, full of energy. And he just has this like brilliant way of mixing very current political moods with more, 
with a kind of energy of a garage punk band, but more beautiful melodies. Um, you know, like it, it'll be like a fun raging guitar and then suddenly it'll break down in a way that you're like, oh, that's pretty. That's not what you'd normally expect from punk or something, you know? So he's this like truly gifted pop songwriter, uh, who, who's worked in all kinds of kind of subgenres like ska and other things with, uh, some of his other bands that he's been in, um, bomb the music industry was his band. If you've ever heard of them. And yeah, it, it's a wonderful record. I've thought about it a lot because of so much of it's political, but I think just the energy of it has really drawn me in this year. Um, unlike some of my other slower albums, this one is very, very fast and very fun. And it's a very quick listen overall, I would say. Um, uh, but yeah, it's called No Dream. It's called Je- uh, by Jeff Rosenstock. And it's it's f- fucking great. I would check it out. Um, the song I'm going to put on here uh, is the first single. It's called Scram. That's an album that is actually it's on my list and I just haven't gotten to it yet. I know I know Jeff Rosenstock. Um, I there's an album of his from a couple of years ago that I really like. Post was his big album that kind of I think broke him uh, through. It actually I, I I do know Post. I like Post, but it's uh it's from before. Worry. I'm looking at Worry. Yes, Worry. Worry. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Of. Um, and for just whatever reason, I haven't gotten to No Dream yet on my list. I, I should. I had no idea it was that high on your list. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's 13 tracks. It's only 40 minutes long. A lot of them are just, you know, like two and a half minute fun fucking songs. And, there you know, there's a lot of stuff about kind of, uh, you know, getting better, I guess, or, you know, trying to work through these hard times. And I guess I've related to that more than I expected to at these in these times. But cool. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll I'll probably listen to that one tonight. Um, okay, we're in the top five now. We're 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 dealing with the big boys, and I would say my three, four, five um, can be very interchangeable depending on my mood. Um, I have I think I have a clear top two and then a clear top five, if that makes sense. Although, like I said, with Peel of Dream magazine, I don't know that may that may mess things up again. So I think for right now, I'll call my number five. It is what it is by the artist Thundercat. I was waiting on that one. album so much so so much um he had uh, an album a few years ago called drunk uh in 2017 which is equally fantastic uh so thundercat is a very he's an excellent bassist that is what he does um that is why he is so uh has such a great reputation 
in the music industry. He is, uh, if you've heard a, a, a fantastic bass riff from one of your favorite modern artists like Childish Gambino, Kamazi Washington, Kendrick Lamar, Ty Dolla Sign, uh, Steve Lacey, a, a, it, the list goes on and on. There's a decent chance that Thundercats are responsible for it. Um, but with, with this album, uh, it's a lot of tracks on a pretty short album. The, the album itself is under 40 minutes long. Uh, it was produced by Flying Lotus, and it's just a great mix of a bunch of different genres that he loves uh, and he excels in. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot. There's some hip-hop in there for sure, but it's a lot of jazz and jazz fusion. Um, mix with like some electronica stuff and uh, sampling stuff like that it's really unique sound uh like what, what i kind of hit on a little bit with uh talking about waxahachi's saint cloud album which i did like but i just kind of hard i had a hard time uh maybe discerning it from other similar sounding sounds and artists you know um thundercat is a as a musician that i really respond to because he is so unique like there's nothing in music right now that sounds like a thundercat album to me so it's one i can immediately recognize and place in my mind in terms of where i like it relative to other musicians and that's not the best way to think about music but when it comes to making a list it's helpful <laughs> so that's why he's this high up on my list. On another day, he could be as high as number three. Uh, I think it is what it is. Is a really it's a masterpiece of uh, fun genre bending sounds, um, and it's totally worth checking out. People should, everybody should listen to it. Yes, it is my number twelve, and uh, I think one of the oh, yeah nice. yeah one of the reasons I think it did not crack my top ten was I was like I'm almost certain Tom's going to mention this one. You were not wrong, sir. Because I like I said, uh, actually, in relation to the Waxahachie, is I was like, like when I was mentioned funk, like I associate Thundercat with you in a way, not like him personally, but like that sound. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a sound like Steve Lacey and that type of like bass, you know, funk, yeah. jazz fusion stuff. I'm like, oh, that's Tom shit. He'll like that. Um, yep. More so, where I, whereas wrong. I think the Waxahachie might just, you know, as much as our tastes overlap, I think those are the weird areas where the difference where you're like, oh yeah, this like more folky Americana truck album you know it's probably more up phil's alley than tom's you know that just we like both but you know like what engages us just a, a few more degrees differs sometimes if that yeah i sense. think that's a a good way of discerning our taste yeah absolutely it does yeah um my number four is heim women in music which we just talked about um yeah baby i i'm gonna re reserve my top three because i'm curious i i suspect my top three are not very surprising um so and i'm curious what your top three are okay you want me to go to my four yeah i was gonna say let's i, I was curious if your four is in my top three so i'll just let's just wait and see uh i assume uh my four two and one are your top three. Oh, okay this is interesting uh and, and my number three I, I assume is not um so I can I can say my number four. It might be your number one. All right, it's probably not your number one. I, my guess is it's your number two, though. All right, let's see. Let's see how well we know each other. My number four is Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher. Yeah, it's my number two. It's your number two. I nailed it. Um, Phil, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic off to you. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in our 
quad album review of her, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, and Tiana Taylor. If you have anything else you'd like to say about it, um, I will defer to you. You're the reason I'm a Phoebe Bridgers fan. The The one quick thing I'll say is this album is brilliant. You mentioned Elliot Smith earlier. Um, this album is obviously indebted to Elliot Smith. This, uh, this record could sit side by side with the best thing Elliot Smith has ever recorded, whether it's either or, whether it's XO, whatever you love from Elliot Smith, this album is that good, in my opinion. Um, she's a great new artist. I love this album very, very much. Phil, the, the mic is yours. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, we did a deep dive into this record. So, I mean, in some ways, you know, we don't want to over, you know, repeat too much and just let everyone know who's listening that if you do want to hear a, a great deal more about this album, uh, you, we did do a deep dive review where we probably talked for a good like forty-five minutes about it, like track by track and everything. And but so that said, yes, it's kind of just overall incredible songwriting. I think we we focused a lot on how precise and devastating her lyrics can be at times and how soft the melodies are. I think the thing I told you that I, I, I believe convinced you was I was like the, the way to listen to her albums is with headphones on reading her lyrics, kind of like really just focused in on it. Cause if you just have them playing in the background, it'll probably just sound like very pretty, but you know, you might, it might be indistinguishable track from track. But if you listen to the albums one by one, you'll see the way she's grown her sound album to album through her different side groups like Better Oblivion Community Center and Boy Genius, as well as her solo stuff. And even in the stuff like I mentioned earlier, like the Christian Lee Hudson album, you can see elements of the production that have made its way onto her albums, making its way onto albums that she is now producing as as a producer. And yeah, I, I can't say enough about it. It's my number two. There's only one other album I would rank higher than this this year. And I suspect that this album, barring some other craziness that might come out this year, will remain in my top two or three albums of the year. I would be surprised because she's just, over the last few years, she's really one of my top artists. She's really one of my go-tos at this point. And yeah, the lyrics, the melodies, her voice, her kind of personality during interviews, everything about her. I'm just kind of madly in love with her. Um, Yeah. My wife should be concerned if I ever meet her, you know, those types of things. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't think she should be because I don't think Phoebe will take to you, but I understand what it doesn't matter. And (laughs) everything was very well said. You're absolutely right, man. Phoebe Bridges is great. She's a super exciting uh, new modern artist who has a lot to say and says it really well. And her songs are catchy and, and wonderful um she's someone i will be i'll be looking forward to every release she she puts out from now on you know yeah uh so that's your number two do you want to say your number three which is probably one of my top two i'll assume it is um i'll assume the rest of mine are going to overlap with yours uh my number th- yeah we yeah, yeah we know what they are but let's keep the order yeah going. my number three is run the jewels uh four is what the album is uh their fourth album if you couldn't guess and yeah, once again, we did a deep dive review into this album. We talked quite a lot about it and just how politically prescient it ended up being. There's some verses, especially like the ones like Walking in the Snow that we talked about with Killer Mike, that especially in these times of Black Lives Matter and the protests and everything, it seemed incredibly current and more uh, aware of our modern situation than we could have, than they probably could have even imagined as they were recording it several months beforehand. But the songs, uh, another act, you know, that I've been a massive fan of. The songs are lively, fun, incredibly produced by LP. There's that 
rat-a-tat back and forth, you know, verse giving that we love. And um, yeah, it's just an incredible record uh, in terms of just being incredibly produced, very forward-thinking hip-hop. It's incredible as you look at them as older people. They're both in their 40s and they're having their, you know, kind of their peaking as artists, which is so rare, especially in hip-hop. You have that element of it as well as just it's so much fun and funny and the kind of humor of it couches a lot of the depressing, angry political stuff. In it. And it's just, it's the, an album of the year. It's an album of the moment. And it's the, I don't know if it's my favorite of their releases overall, but it's certainly, you know, equal to in, in my eyes for the most part, it's, it's an incredible work and one of the most important releases of the year. Back at it like a crack addict, Mr. Black Magic, crack a bitch back, power crack a craft magic, big daddy smoking big Cali in a black, Cali in a black, granddaddy rolling down, old natty how, snapping Maddie as a black, granddaddy all back, no cabin fat black, both captain stay floating, no flapping wave runner, I'm a gunner, I'ma have your block hot as a sauna all summer, and I put that on Osama and my motherfucking mama, I'ma terrorize the actors playing like they want some drama, I'ma chop them with a chop. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, that and uh, another one, which is your number one album of the year, which I will let be discovered as we get to it. That's, those are the two albums that I go back and forth between what's my favorite and second favorite of the year. As of right now, for the purposes of this list, I'm calling Run the Jewels for my favorite of the year. Right now, it is my number one. Um, wow. The reason why I give it a slight edge is because you mentioned it's an album of the moment. And I just think with everything that's been going on in the last month and a half, uh, it was the album that was needed. It was the It came out at the perfect time. Um, I th- I personally think it's probably my favorite Run the Jewels album. Uh, maybe two is just is right behind it, but um, I think there there's no bad track here. Like you said, they are both peaking as as lyricists. The production is spot on. Um, Killer Mike's uh, verse from Walking in the Snow I think is the most important thing in music this year, and for that reason I, I'll give it a slight edge as my number one. But like. You, you already said we have a whole segment of a previous episode. We spent a long time on this album. So in the interest of trying to keep this up, this episode a little bit shorter, I will leave it there. And uh, before we uh, get to our last album, which is your number one and my number two, I will mention my number three of the year, uh, which is an artist whose name is Brian Christ. Christinzio, I believe is how you pronounce it. Christinzio. He goes by BC Camplight. And the album is called Shortly After Takeoff. Number three of the year, 
this is the third album in his quote Manchester trilogy. Uh, he's a Philadelphia-based singer-songwriter who eventually moved to Manchester, started making uh, music with a label there, got deported, and then eventually moved back. So uh, there, he came out with a series of three albums all during that time that are interconnected because of that part of his life and the subject matter. It's a lot of music about depression, about mental illness, but it has a very dark sense of humor to it. Uh, which I really respond to. I think the the craft is just impeccable. I think um, this is an album that really speaks to me on a personal level as someone who has uh, depression, who has his own mental health issues that I have to constantly be aware of and keep in check uh, at the risk of um, kind of losing myself and overwhelming myself and losing track of myself. An album like this is uh, really important to me personally to kind of um, just kind of keep me grounded and to, to remember to uh, not ignore, you know, like uh, warning signs or um, uh, things that could uh, trigger like depressive episodes or, or things like that, but also to remember not to be drowned in that, to wallow in that, you know? Um, like I said, he does have a, a great sense of humor about a lot of the struggles that he goes through personally. He's very open in this album about talking about his mental illnesses. Um, he also wrote this album right after the sudden death of his father, so he's dealing with that as well. Um, but while he's going through all of this... Um, he manages to to remember to make the music fun uh, and use the music as a point of of catharsis and release and for good and for that um, that's why this album is ranked so highly for me. Um, I just have a personal connection to this album. It feels like an artist that isn't too well known, and I think that's part of the reason I'm responding so strongly to it. And it feels like a a very private album for me in a lot of ways, like something I, I very much enjoy um, because it's not talked about too much, I guess, uh, which whatever, that's a, that's kind of a dumb reason to like something, but it is what it is. Um, there are two tracks I want to highlight. Um, we'll only play one though, but I think they're the two strongest tracks of the album. One is called I only drink when I'm drunk. And the other is sh shortly after takeoff. I will let Phil decide if he wants to sample both and he can just pick one that we will play right now. This afternoon I thought about Buckfast and Spain And danced around my kitchen singing Ace of Bass I'm turning into something and there you go that's uh that's bc Camplight, my number three of the year i yeah i pulled this up i did not know it by name i was actually i i recognized the album cover so i suspect i've seen the album cover maybe mentioned on other lists um but i have not personally checked this album out so i will listen to those songs and decide which is appropriate for our our purposes 
Okay. So we have my number two and your number one left, but why don't you say it? Because we know it's the same album. Everybody knows we've talked about it quite a bit. Yes. Like the other albums in our top fives, we have, or various in our top tens, we have done deep dives into this album. Uh, I think we talked about it at the time that it's a fucking masterpiece. I maintain that. Released in April of this year, Fiona Apple's Fetch the Fucking Lady Gaga's Chromatic. Well, what? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, Lady Gaga's chrom- uh, Chromatic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, wait. No, it's called Fetch the Fucking Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. Evil is so Yeah, Fiona Apple's festival. Yeah, I just wanted to get another look at her. Uh, Stupid Love is a great song, though. Yeah, no, I, it's a great dance. No, track. no shade on Gaga. We like Gaga, and she did. She did release an album this year. So she did release an album, but it is not the number one or number two. Uh, very, very one B. I will call it. Yeah, Lady uh, Fiona Apple's "Fetch the Bullet Cutters." Of course. Yeah. Of course. Come on. Uh, I have listened to this album since our recording. I listened to it at least once a week uh, since then, and I've yeah, I've listened to it front to back like fifteen or twenty times this year. Already. Yeah, I I throw it on pretty regularly, and even within the last few days, have listened to it in its full while driving around in my in a car. You know, it's it's both like incredibly sad, but also just the production is kind of the opposite of what we talked about with some of the other ones in terms of this one's beautiful, but in, in the way it's so homemade and kind of uh, there's so much texture to it. And you can, you can kind of feel like you're sitting in the room while they're recording these tracks and just sitting next to her while she's going through these emotions on these tracks. And, you know, we talked in that deep dive review about how abrasive her voice and uh, some of the style can be at times, but you know, it's all to serve a purpose and it's, it's her masterpiece it's the one of the, it's certainly, I think the best album of the year, unquestionably, I think it's, it was a masterpiece on my first listen. And yeah, I, it was just one of those like instantaneous fucking throw them, you know, get on the mantle. You, you, you threw it all down and it's incredible. And I, yeah, I, like I said, I listen to it constantly. It's not just a, Oh, this is important. And it's number one. This is genuinely like, I think it's important. And I fucking listen to this album nonstop. I think it's incredible. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's easily one of the the best albums of the year, if not the best, and it's going to be one of the best albums of the decade. We, it's it's one of those things that's just so obvious. Um, while you listen to it, uh, we we did a whole episode about it, guys. Go listen to that, Fiona. This Apple, yeah, this it's fucking this great. episode is really just a plug for our other episodes. Really, <laughs> at least the at least the top. You know, honestly. Uh, we we chose to discuss stuff like Run the Jewels and Fiona Apple and Phoebe Bridger. I mean, Phoebe, because you were such a big fan going into it. But I hadn't heard it when we decided to talk about her 
Fiona Apple and Run the Jewels we decided to talk about because they were big releases. I don't think we knew at the time we decided to make those episodes that they were going to be our favorite albums of the year. Yeah, and there's been plenty of other releases that we haven't even mentioned that, you know, I've enjoyed quite a bit. And it's just, yeah, like maybe it's because we talked in depth about it and that kind of like helped them stick around in our minds or something. I don't know. But yeah, a number of the albums we talked about, we, you know, especially when you're talking week to week and especially if it's like, hey, I mentioned this album in a recommendation section at the end of it or something. So a number of these, yes, I have mentioned in some way in passing over the last year, but this is a summary of how I felt about the year so far. So of course there's going to be some, some overlap. It can't all be a surprise, but yes, without a doubt, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, is my favorite album of the year. I will be shocked if anything comes out that I that outranks this. So, you know, when we do our best albums of the year at the end of the year, don't be surprised if you hear me mentioning this once again. Yeah, of course. Uh, honorable mentions, I'll go through some, and then I'll let you uh, go through yours as well. Um, we, we already mentioned a few. Uh, that didn't make our respective lists. I would I would also say one we again discussed in a previous episode, Neil Young's Homegrown. Uh, I I was kind of tortured whether or not I wanted to include it because it is a new release, but it's music recorded in the seventies. Yeah. So I figured an honorable mention is a good place to put it. Um, uh, the type of music that you seem to relate to me uh, is probably like Afrobeat, jazz fusion, like Fela Kuti stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, and that type of music and there's a great album in that vein from tony allen and hugh masakela called rejoice um hugh masakela unfortunately passed away in 2018 uh but this is a collection of recordings that uh they did together tony allen drummer and hugh is a trumpeter was a trumpeter r.i.p hugh masakela um but it's great afro music um uh gil scott heron's last studio album uh, called I'm New Here was reimagined by the artist Makaya McCraven in an album called We're New Again, a reimagining. Uh, and it's a great, uh, great modern take on Gill's 2010 album, uh, another jazz piece that I wanted to highlight. Um, a great new voice in pop divatum, uh, Rina Sawayama came out with an album called Sawayama. And it's a, a bunch of really angry. Uh, loud pop music um, from a new female voice um, that I hope will be around for a while because I found her super interesting. Uh, a couple more. Haley Williams, the uh, form, I think former lead singer from Paramore, came out with a, a solo album called Petals for Armor, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, another classic L.A. band, I mentioned X on my list. Another L.A. band that just missed the list is Sparks. They have a new album called The Steady Drip, Drip, Drip that I would put uh, just outside my top 11. And then you mentioned uh, a lack of black female artists on your list. Well, I will recommend to you to listen to Kaya. That's K-E-I-Y-A, capital A. Her album, Forever Ya Girl, is a great um, R&B mood album that uh, also just missed my top 11. I'll leave it there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, if I have any, the only like kind of group that I would, uh, that was female, black female heavy was um, Chloe and Haley have released an album called Ungodly Hour, which I, I liked quite a bit, but I didn't think it, I liked it quite enough to honestly let it crack my top 10 just in terms of like listening in full and, you know, like listening to multiple times. I, it's an album that I've found like several tracks from that I've really 
gravitated towards more than the full album. So that's the only reason that didn't quite crack my top 10, but I did want to make sure to mention that album. It is very good. And we did mention there's a number of strong tracks on Tayana Taylor's album that we talked about in that one album, even though the album itself is quite long. And I think for us, it meandered a bit. That doesn't mean that there isn't a number of tracks that were very good from it. Um, do a Oh, and sorry. Uh, just let me say, I heard you were about to say Dua Lipa. I was just going to cut in with her, so I'll let you talk about her. But uh, her album and Childish Gambino's 31520, I also do want to mention an earlier album we talked about. I know you're not as big of a fan, but I really like that album. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia is, uh, along with Carly Rae Jepsen, for me, the best like female just pop dance album of the year. Yeah, that album was great. Yeah, man. it's really fucking catchy. Um, I maybe have undervalued it. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it'll come crawling up later in the year as it progresses. Um, I also want to mention Soccer Mommy. Her album Color Theory is an album that I think probably didn't make the 10 only because I wanted to make room for like Waxahachie and some of the other... I think it falls in that female singer-songwriter thing that I think is, you know, really big right now. I, I, I'm much more drawn to the female singer-songwriters and female-led bands than I have been by male artists or male rock bands lately so i don't i'm not sure what that's about or if that's a truly a movement that's happened in music or if that's just me personally and how i've kind of digested things but it seems like women are really taking over music right now at least in my at least in my life um i you mentioned uh a few of them i want to mention but i will add like the neil young i would also add bob dylan which we talked about on that same episode rough and rowdy ways um yep ethan gruska is uh, another album that was co-produced by Phoebe Bridgers. Um, it's called Engarde. Um, and he is a, a singer-songwriter, not quite in the Elliott Smith vein, like those, like the Phoebe Bridgers and Christian Lee Hudson album that I mentioned. But it's similarly um, male singer-songwriter, um, but a little bit more techno-y. Um, a few more kind of glitches here and there, some, some clicks and pops and uh, samples and stuff like that mixed in there over the acoustic playing. It's very good album. Just very solid, just 12 tracks, I believe. And yeah, I've liked it quite a bit. Um, I would also recommend Leo Takami's album, Felis, Cadis and Silence, which is a instrumental album of kind of otherworldly, uh, soft, uh, instrumental piano and, uh, yeah, I, I hesitate to call it jazz, but I, I technically it's just kind of modern piano music and it's a soothing album with a number of tracks that i have kind of continually played in the late hours of the night when i'm trying to wind down it's great background music noise for me and it's yeah like i said it's instrumental but very calming and very beautiful and uh yes i have thundercat as well which i knew you were going to mention but i i definitely wanted to bring up um aubrey sellers is a great female songwriter who also like i said kind of got thrown onto the chopping block because of just trying to make room for other people and some more diverse sounds. But, uh, yeah, there's just any number of, uh, oh, oh yeah. Jeff Parker was another album that, uh, who released another album sweet for Max Brown, sweet for Max Brown. I was, I was about to make sure to mention that before we logged yeah. off when you were talking about jazz music that you liked. Yeah. I was, yeah. That, that's a great, yeah, I was looking through my playlist. That one didn't quite make my top 10, but I, I have greatly enjoyed that one. Um, and yeah, Ray LaMontagne is also a singer songwriter who I have not, I I was obsessed with in like high school and early college years, but then after like his first three or four albums, I kind of trailed off and he hasn't interested me as much, but his album from this year called Monovision 
is uh, a great, I thought, return to form. And uh, while I don't think he's going to get much credit for it, I actually think it's a very good album. And I think longtime fans of his, if you know who he is, uh, will be pleasantly surprised. And especially if you liked his earlier style a little bit more than the last few albums. But uh, yeah, I mean, outside of some, I mean, I could start throwing out even more, but I, I no, was going to say, we're, we're, we've say done yeah, we've got, we've we have done recommended quite a bit to the people. If you're listening, they're probably like, I don't care. Yeah, nobody cares at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, The Strokes um, released an album. Yeah, The Strokes said I was surprised that didn't show up on either of our lists. But I don't know. There you I don't it. know that I'm the biggest Strokes fan, so that's that's why. Yeah. Um, and also, I will just say, uh, you know, mentioning X and Sparks and stuff like that, uh, There, there's been a minor resurgence from some other artists, too, who were, you know, bigger back in the day, like Pretenders just put out a new album that I haven't heard yet but is getting good reviews. Uh, Lucinda Williams has a new album out that is getting uh, good reviews. Um, you know, there are a lot of older artists who are who are st- <clears throat> still making music. We mentioned Neil Young and Dylan. Um, so there's a great mix. There's a ton of new music out there is the point. Uh, all types of genres, all types of artists, all different ages, all different stripes, all different genders, all different skin colors. If you want to listen to something musical, you can find it. Uh, this is just a guide. Hopefully you find something you like that you haven't heard before. That's the point of this. It's fun to, to search for new music. It can feel overwhelming, but if you know where to look, um, Metacritic is a great resource just to see like overall, what is the best reviewed stuff of the year? And you can kind of go from there. Um, maybe start listening to like the best reviewed albums of the year until you find a couple that you like. And then when you find out what you like, you just Google those artists and see what artists are similar. Um, and you, you kind of branch out that way. And the next thing you know, you're a music aficionado if you're not already. So that is our top 10 albums of the year so far. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways to find this stuff, especially if you have uh, Spotify. Like even I've, I, they, people make playlists and you have access to playlists that other people have made. So it's not just your own. So even just typing best albums of 2020 you'll get multiple playlists from people including like pitchfork which will just be like a six hour playlist of you know a a compilation of all the albums they've given high ratings to this year so you can just pull up one playlist and easily click around to some of the best reviewed albums of the year so you know there's all kinds of ways to tackle this stuff you know depending on how you want to go about it yeah like something like peel dream magazine for example which is a very unknown band right now you know, the, the, I liken them to stuff like My Bloody Valentine, which is a lot of shoegaze music. So go on Spotify and just search shoegaze and you'll find playlists people have made that has like, I, I follow one called Shoegaze Classic, you know, which has songs from Ride and Slow Dive, Jesus and Mary Chain, My Bloody Valentine, Cocteau Twins, like a, a bunch of great bands you can find out and uh, new favorites you'll find to love. Or the yeah. end. Or if you're like me and you don't like shoegaze, you'll never type that in. But. Okay. Fuck yeah. You. All right, that is the show. Or no, no, no. Wait, before I do that, what wrap-up and recommendations do we have? I have a couple, so that's why I wanted to make sure we brought it up. What do you got? Well, I, as I mentioned, I returned home from Ohio this uh, week. And one thing that I went to go, I went home to visit my daughter and spend time with her. And one thing that we have always done is we try to find at dinner time like a really, not dumb show, but like something that you can kind of turn your brain off and you don't have to think too hard about. Like, I'm not showing her the fucking wire or something while we're eating dinner. And so when I went home, we were trying to find something that was quick, easy to watch, and something that we could potentially watch all of in the couple weeks I was home. 
And uh, what we settled on is the new Netflix show, Floor is Lava. Um, it's it's 10 episodes. I, you know, I can't say it's the smartest thing in the world. It's just an obstacle course. Apparently, it was built in the old Burbank Ikea. Uh, and inside that old Ikea, they have built a studio full of rooms that they have filled with this disgusting red liquid that looks a little bit thicker than water. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but they have people doing these crazy obstacle courses um, that are basically designed to look like different rooms that are full of this lava substance and you have to jump from object to object and get to the other side of the room. And these teams, it's a very simple premise. It's very much like Wipeout or those types of shows, but it's not quite as mean-spirited as those. And it was just, you know, they're like 30-minute episodes and I can't, you know, it's not great serious stuff, but I had so much fun and it was a great way to turn my brain off and especially just to enjoy something silly with my daughter. And, uh, you know, it's not very deep but but if you're looking for just something to enjoy yourself and kind of do something I, I like obstacle courses i would love to go find this place and go run these obstacle courses it's it's a dream of mine to just run a gauntlet of various types over the course of my life so flores lava is right up my alley i would recommend that quite a bit even though you know i'm not going to say much for it except for the it's it's great and dumb fun and um the other thing I was going to recommend is the opposite end of that. It's not dumb fun. It's very serious. It's a um, short film that just came out yesterday from Jonathan Glazer called uh, Strasbourg 1518. Um, yeah, it, it's it's online. You can go. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird website. It's not an easy link uh, just to throw out there. But if you Google it, you can find um, a link. It's called Strasbourg 1518 by the director Jonathan Glazer, who most people will know from Under the Skin the Scarlett Johansson alien film from earlier in the decade and um, other things like sexy beast birth and any number of great ads that have come out over the last, you know, couple decades. He's an incredible visualist and basically he made this short film. It was commissioned by the BBC in a 24 and he, he made it during quarantine with a dance troupe. And uh, I did not know about this, but it, it is inspired by the dancing plague of 1518. Yeah. yeah, the dancing plague of 1518, which I'd never heard about, but it's a plague that happened in France or they believe might have been a plague or some kind of food poisoning or something. But basically like 50 to 400 people broke out into dance and like wouldn't stop dancing. And uh, the the short film, it's only 10 minutes long, but it's kind of a play on that idea of like not being able to stop dancing, but these people are in their apartments and in their homes and in this kind of quarantine time period, the idea of doing something on repeat over and over again until you're just worn down by it and, you know, kind of like physically debilitated, but you have to kind of keep going on. Like it's, it's a very visual, visually driven short film, but I loved it and I related to it a great deal as someone who's been living in quarantine for the last few months. And uh, yeah, if you're a film nerd, uh, you know, it's an easy way to spend 10 minutes and it's really beautifully filmed and um as sonically strange and scary and hypnotic as his uh, feature film work as well as uh, another short he made either super early this year or last year called the fall he's just been releasing these like 10 minute short films that have been scary and uh beautiful and i, I look forward to a, his next feature film but in the meantime this will do uh it just came out yesterday it is called strasburg 1518 uh google it it's 10 minutes long and uh you know dive into that it's very good Yes, yes, yes. We get it. Um, where is that the the one on the BBC player? Is that how you find it? Uh I, I I went to some website that was about it and it said like watch it here and I clicked the here. 
That's that. Okay, yeah, because that says only available in the UK. I got I got to find this. I I have not listened or seen this yet. The Fall is a brilliant short. He's a brilliant filmmaker. Um, I will find a link to this and put it in the show notes so we can all enjoy it. I will text it to you now. Thank you, buddy. Um, I will just say uh, I actually wanted to get into a discussion about it, but as usual, we're two hours long, so I'll save it. But I rewatched Halloween 2018, and I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Also, I rewatched Terminator 2. Uh, if you haven't seen that in a while, it's still the greatest action sci-fi movie ever made. Those are my recommendations. I'm, I hesitate to ask with because I'm scared we're, we're just going to start talking about it. But like, what what long discussion do you want? What, what discussion do you want to have about Halloween? <laughs> uh, I just have a lot of thoughts. All right. Well, you know, like it, let's talk about it next. Yeah, time. yeah. Or you could get a tape recorder and you know sit there with yourself. Um, either way, um, get it all out there. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm kidding. I like, I like Halloween 2018. I just, I'm sure when Halloween kills comes out next year, we'll have a long discussion about Hollywood. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. I feel like I would love to talk about it now, but knowing the, the new film is delayed a year uh, and it's no longer coming out in three months. Uh, the conversation is less important right now, but yeah, no, I, um, I was a big fan when it came out in theaters. I would say my my position on it dipped slightly, but not a ton. Um, but I, I think uh, its flaws were more apparent to me, as were its strong points. So um, we'll have a conversation yeah, 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 about yeah, that yeah. in the future. We'll, we'll find some, I've only, some reason to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I saw it the once in theaters, so I would need to kind of like revisit it, especially which I'm sure I will before Halloween Kills um, next year. And um, I don't know, you know, the teaser came out for Halloween Kills. If anyone wants to go watch that, you know, that's what you want to recommend. That came out in the last couple of weeks. You can go watch the 30 second teaser for Hollywood Kills. Halloween Kills. Yeah, go watch, go watch the 30 second teaser for Halloween Kills. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad teaser, actually. No, it's not. All right. That is the show for this week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. It is available now in iTunes, the Google Store, Stitcher. And uh, possibly on YouTube, depending on my mood this week. We'll see. Uh, you can also send us an email or a comment at howsthatdaypod at gmail. That's all one word. Thank you to Zach Pitts for the theme music. Tom, tell them where to find you, buddy. Uh, Big Fat Bond on Twitter. Bindi Tom Bindi on Instagram. You can find me at Phil underscore Weedenheft on Twitter. P Weedenheft on Instagram. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd, where you can see daily reviews of everything I've been watching lately. So with that, Tom, I'll see you next week where I don't, I don't know what we're discussing. We can talk about that. Um, yeah, we have to come up with a topic. And don't worry, we will. We could review the horror film Relic, um, which has been getting rave reviews and uh, is available now. Uh, you know, There's a, a couple of different things we could talk about. Don't have to pinch my nipples to get me to talk about a new horror movie. Oh, and um, one thing I did want to talk about, maybe not on mic. We'll, well, maybe we'll talk about it later. Uh, it's a, it's an episode. Ooh. No, no, it's not. It's it's an episode. It's not. Don't get that excited. It's um. It's okay. uh. It's something we've already talked about. I was just curious. You know, maybe it's time to like dig into that uh, back pocket and pull that episode out. Cool. All right. Anyway, we'll talk about that off mic. The rest of you, go away. Go listen to a different podcast. Go listen to that music we recommended. Go do something else. Anything else other than listening to us. You've listened to us long enough. But like, but check us out again next week, where we'll be back in your feed. Bye, everybody. Love you. I'm going to keep talking a little bit longer, I think. Okay. Bye, everyone.